podcast this week, we are joined by two of the greatest stars of Hollywood's golden age. Yes, that's right. We're joined by Kim Novak, star of Vertigo, and Marilyn Monroe, star of Some Like It Hot. Are, are you sure? Let me just check my notes. Oh, wait, no. We are joined by BJ Novak, writer, star, and director of Vengeance, and Micah Monroe, star of Significant Other. Still, Novak and Monroe. Hey. Can't say fairer than that. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that laughs in the face of your conventional running marathons. 26.2 miles? Ha! Come talk to me when you've done 20.0 Bond films. Yeah, I, I mean, you were a wreck of a man, I suppose, during those, but I will be a wreck of a woman on Sunday, so who among us is really winning? That sounds a lot like a Bond theme, a wreck of a woman, <laughs> a wreck of a man. Anyway, hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week we're in a completely different studio. We're just like, we're nomadic at the moment, we're just mm. moving from studio mm. to studio to studio. Like the Black Fortress in Kroll. Like, exactly like that, or like a Brigadoon. Indeed. Do you know well, Schmigadoon. Schmigadoon. Um, we're not as musical as either Brigadoon or Schmigadoon, and we're much more frequent appearances than Brigadoon, for sure. Yes. Isn't it every 75 years or something? I thought it was every 100. Or is that the. No, you're right. It's yeah, every 100. It's every 100. Yeah. And the creature every from It is 30 years. 27. 27. 27. Yeah. 27. Oh, that's, that's why I missed him last time. Which I believe is also the time that the Creeper takes to reappear as well. So, and from Jeepers Creepers. Creepers, creepers where did you get, get those peepers? Oh, yes. He is the original Batman. Because he's like a bat. Mm. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Mm. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Emperor Podcast. I've done that bit, I know. But uh, joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, great big fucking nerd, James Dyer is Hi. here. And we are also joined by our geek queen, who is running a marathon this weekend, but not any marathon, folks. This is the London Marathon's Helen O'Hara. Yeah, I've made a huge mistake. What was <laughs> what, I thinking? Um, what costume are you wearing? Yeah, I'll be honest, like, I wasn't going to this time. I do have You're going to my... go naked. No, <laughs> I mean, I was going to wear... They frown upon that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, actually, there is a guy who usually runs in a loincloth carrying a cross. Conan. Full size. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Ah, Borat. <laughs> um, but no, he, well, it's not a loincloth. That's a mankini, That's isn't a mankini. Yeah. 26.2 miles of going, my wife! And then you, you get over the line, you go, great success! God, that sounds yeah. nightmarish. Uh, Metal like was... wizard sleeve. Oh, no. No, stop, please. Thank you, no. <laughs> I was just going to wear normal running clothes this time, I'll be honest. I do have a sort of, you know, vaguely Wonder Woman-y Wonder like, running Woman. gear, but I, I don't feel like it this time. I think I'm just going to run it. That's amazing. And yeah. walk it, let's be honest, when I get tired. You could do it. You've done <laughs> loads of marathons. What's, yeah. What, what oh, number yeah. of marathon is this? 38, I think. And are you doing that many because you're, are you getting better at it? No, I'm getting worse. But didn't no. you do one in the Nepalese mountains? That was more of a stage race. So you, we never did uh, a marathon distance in one day. The right. But we, we did eight days of running. Oh, it was a lazy marathon. Well, no, because it was up to about 29k, I think was the longest day. The shortest one was like 16 but every day there was like two kilometers of vertical gain at, you know, <laughs> four kilometers high. So it was very tiring. What about the breathing? What about, what the, was breathing the breathing was not good. The breathing was very bad. The breathing was, at, at times when I was climbing hills, it was sort of take three steps and then stop and pant for a bit and then take three more steps. Like it was very, right. very hard. What if... I rocked up to the start line sure. in my business suit, like Vince Fawn in Businessman, and mm -hmm. ran a marathon alongside you and carried you over the line like Jesus. 
I mean, I, that, I would be all up for carry, somebody carrying me at any point during the marathon. That would be great. You look um, back, there's only one set of footprints. People have run marathons in business suits and indeed business shoes. There was, there was an owner of a shoe company who wanted to just show that his shoes were, you know, properly made, were actually very comfortable <laughs> and very supportive. So he ran a marathon in them. And then that was and, and he never walked again. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it was okay, but because, but you know, he had very good, well-made, personalized shoes, I guess. See, I that's know. the thing. I don't know. Do you, you know the Vince Vaughn movie to which I'm referring? Businessman, where he is a no. businessman who, who uh, he's in Germany and Nick Frost's in it and Tom Wilkinson is in it, it as well. Bell, yeah. And it's an amiable enough Vince Vaughn comedy. Uh, and at the end, he's like learning this great big profound life lesson and the I think it's the Berlin Marathon is yeah. just is just on, and he just wanders up to the start in his business suit, and then runs twenty six point two miles in his in business, business shoes, mm-hmm. and that that's, that took me out of the movie. Well, like I say, it has been done. People have run marathons even in heels, but um, like Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, oh, she could have nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks to you, Helen, I know that there is now an entry process in these marathons. You can't just rock up, especially to. No. You could probably well, a common or garden marathon. You could maybe. Yeah, rock but not up. one of the world marathon majors no. like Who's Berlin or London. You? Who's going to stop you if you just like sort of like sidle up to the to the to the start line in your in your business shoes who's going to stop you well, running? you're not I mean look nobody's going to stop you but if you cross the line you don't have a number on they're you not going to give you you crossed the line they're not going to give you a medal are they? and then that's why you're right do you get medals for the London Marathon of course you get medals I don't run anywhere without a medal no but you normally get special medals I can't imagine the London Marathon gives you medals with like Mjolnir it's, on it and the, no this one isn't in the shape of Mjolnir <laughs> which is a real failing on London's part it's just is a medal a, is there a Dougie badge is there a marathon no, badge stop this shutting this there, down I well bet there are Dougie I bet there are Dougie oh my god medals. that'd be so good I know a guy I'll talk to him. Oh, if, get, if if I get a Dougie medal, will you run? Absolutely. No, no. <laughs> I'm I'm shutting this down immediately because Chris has promised to run various distances at various times. I have. And I'm though. sure I've sponsored you for several of them, and, and to date you've done none of them. Well, that is incorrect. So, that's incorrect. That's Anything he was sponsored incorrect. for, he did. I don't believe that. Except maybe the eating vegetables one. No, I'm I did that. Sure. You did, I did it. That. I was oh, okay. fucking furious about it for a week. I went vegetarian for a week. Did you? Yeah. When was this? Uh, been years ago. But I have no we were, in the, we were in the old office and he complained endlessly Absolutely about eating no, a vegetable every day. He went into Bodine's and went, give me all the vegetables you have. And they went, we have no vegetables. <laughs> this is Bodine's. <laughs> Sir, this is a Wendy's. It was, it was one of those things where like, I, I, my, my, sort of my status on this one is I'm not asking for sponsorship for because I do a lot of marathons. Uh, I might ask for sponsorship for something crazy I'm doing next year, but I'm not for Ooh, this. what is it? But my compromise is... is Sponsoring oh, everybody else, I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. My compromise is sponsoring everybody else when they do stuff, right? So I think I even sponsored you for that, even though I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard, like sponsoring someone to literally eat a vegetable. I was furious. Um, I know you were. And, but I and was too weak to do anything it's, about it's it. Sim- <laughs> it's similar when people like what have occasionally in the past asked for sponsorship to do Sober October. And, you know, as a non-drinker, I'm a bit like, yeah, no. Anyway, enough of this. I could talk about marathons and being vegetarian for a week. <laughs> All day. But sadly, we have to get on with the podcast. Uh, and uh, should we have a question? Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. So we had this question coming in from a couple of people. Uh, I may find their names while we're talking about it. Then again, I may not. Uh, so because several people sent it in, they were asking, so Tom Hanks gave an interview this week uh, in which Tom Hanks said, I think with his tongue in his cheek, that he had made only four pretty good movies in his career. Fair. And so a couple of people have written in to say, what are those four pretty good movies? And I guess also we should discuss that because mm. he, you know, me think he does protest oh, a yeah. little bit too much. I think he's, I think he's just being modest and charming and fun, like Tom Hanks's want to do. Uh, <laughs> but it's one of them is definitely Apollo thirteen. <laughs> One's definitely 
Saving Private Ryan. And I don't No, but really there's more than four. There's more than four is what I'm saying. No, I know. Come on, I know. you can't miss ranking. out Inferno. Yes, I, I can. Yes, I absolutely can. <laughs> I, can I can very and much I will. do that. And I have. <laughs> I'm doing it again. Helen, you go with your four, and then James, you go with your four, okay. and then I'll go with my four. I'm going to say Apollo 13 and uh, Saving Private Ryan and <sighs> Captain Phillips and... Um, this is great radio. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit torn on the fourth. Um, like Natalie Imbruglia. I'm very much like Natalie Imbruglia in so many ways. Did you just say Imbruglia? Okay, fine. Um... <laughs> I'm going to say... Oh, what the hell? I'm going to say the terminal just for bad. Fuck off. <laughs> Come on. Come on. You can't. You can't. Fine. You, you, no, you're fine. You're arch say something else. Don't call he's Helen a cant. He's meant to do the arch provocating, <laughs> not <Okay>. you. <laughs> fine, then. I'll say freaking Boris Gump. Jeez. Forrest no, Gump, no. Get to fuck. Castaway. 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 Yeah, Castaway. Well, Chris is going to say the burbs, I'm absolutely convinced by. So. <laughs> and then presumably Turner and Hooch. So, you know. Don't like that film. No. Turner should have died, not Hooch. Fair enough. Did Dragnet. You know? yes. Dragnet. Now we're talking. Did you know that Henry Winkler was the original director of Turner and Hooch? What happened? And then he and Tom Hanks had a falling out Ooh. and Ooh. a parting of the ways. No. And apparently there, there, there was bad blood for many years. Uh, Ron Howard, who's a mutual friend of both, obviously he's directed Tom Hanks and everything, and he was in Happy Days alongside Henry Winkler. In fact, directed Henry Winkler in Night Shift, one of mm. Ron Howard's first movies. Uh, and he he got them together or something like that and mended fences. Oh. That's what Tom Hanks says anyway. But, you know, go on with your four. Have I'm you not... seen four Tom Hanks movies, first of all? Have, are, we, are we good? Sure. Do you know who he is? Vaguely. Yeah. He's in Schmigadoon. Oh, That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> um, these are not in any particular order. I'm just winging it. Doesn't have to be in order. But I think A League of Their Own might be in mine. Ooh. Ooh. Good call. Uh, <laughs> I will leave Sleepless and You've Got Mail. Ooh. Uh, Someone's putting You've Got Mail on a Tom no, Hanks sleepless, top four. Sleepless could be. Yeah, no, because it's the same basic film, but Sleepless is the superior of the two. Although kids watching it go, what's a radio? I, I, Forrest Gump would be on mine. Forrest Gump would be on mine. Definitely. Forrest Gump would be. Yeah. Sorry. My list is okay. like a box of chocolates. So, again, this is, this is the. Of the four pretty good movies that you think Tom Hanks has made in his career, you yeah. think one of them is Forrest Gump. Yeah. Yeah. I love Forrest Gump. Why do you love Forrest Gump? It's, it's joyous. It's like a little ray of sunshine, and he's incredibly charming all the way through it. I know. I really. I mean, I haven't watched. Did you watch the recent sort of like uh, the, the sort of Indian shop shot remake, essentially, film? I can't remember the name of it, but if anyone does. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I was quite curious to see that because I do, I've seen Forrest Gump a lot, like a lot. You know, like you've got the feather, you've got I did all the, the moments as he goes through history, the fact that he's a hapless fool just coasting on the waves of life, much like myself. <laughs> so, uh, it's, you know, I feel a kinship with old, uh, with old Forrest Gump. He, he, like you, he also pops up at uh, key moments of history. That's and, right, and yeah. fucks it all up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are my Lieutenant Dan. All right, so, you're going for, um, so what have you gone for, remind me? Cause... So at the moment, A League of Their Own, mm-hmm. Forrest Gump. Okay. Okay. Two That's more. Right, Come on. You know. In addition to that, obviously Saving Private Ryan, which I would argue is the best. But other than that, oh, this is difficult. This is difficult. I'm going to say the Green Mile. And Road to Perdition. Okay, that's Because five. this is the you life we chose, the life we lead, Helen. And there's only one guarantee, you can't count to four. <laughs> God, I love that film. Um, you can't, I love that you film can't, so you much. You can't make me choose. Uh, well, you can make me choose. Four. Four. 
One, two, three, but four. You're, but you're, but what you're doing here in your bumbling fashion <laughs> is proving his thesis incorrect. Yeah. That he, he has not made four pretty mm. good films. He has made at More least than five. Four. <laughs> note, note that none of the Toy Stories are on my list, <gasps> uh, which well, is deliberate. Because I was going to pick you both Shit. up in this because yeah. there's Toy Story erasure going on right here. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's fair. That's which fair. Which again Look, is a song I would love to in hear. In fairness, <laughs> I was doing it off the top of my head without the benefit of recourse to IMDb like I don't know what both you're talking of about. you. Don't know what so, you're about. you know, I, I was obviously I've forgotten I'm some. looking at porn. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. Okay. <laughs> No, uh, porn for me is Tom Hanks' IMDb page. That shit gets What's me that? off. Toy Horny 4. <laughs> That's a real buzz. Um, He's got yeah, a woody. It's, it's buzzy and wood, actually, in, that, in those films. Yes, it is. The Claw. Oh, no. The Claw is our master. <laughs> What would the, you know what, don't tell me. Don't tell me what the claw would be okay. in this case. All right, okay. Uh, obviously, I would go for, uh, in no particular order, Bachelor Party, The Man With One Red Shoe, Volunteers and The Money Pit. Shut up. The, no, you wouldn't. No, you would not. Are you just Sorry, starting I, from the beginning? I was just starting yeah. from the beginning. Okay. <laughs> no, the, my four unimpeachable, pretty good Tom Hanks movies <laughs> <laughs> are The Burbs, uh-huh. Is one true comedic masterpiece. It is masterpiece. pretty good. It's, it's not pretty it's good. It's pretty good. It is the best film of both Joe Dante and Tom no, Hanks and Corey Feldman. I know I said both, but anyway. You're saying Dante peaked. <laughs> and Bruce Dern and Carrie Fisher. That's right. The Burbs is better. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> In indefensible statements made today, the That's prize right. goes to. I, I too can do the provocating. <laughs> I too can provoct. Um, right. Okay. The Burbs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll give you your saving private Ryan. I will accept that. Shaving Ryan's private. It's got a pretty decent 20 minutes <laughs> in this. <laughs> pretty <laughs> no, decent. This, this is God. one of our great film, film. Um, yeah. what do you call them? Makers. And? Stars? Directors? Word speakers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do love a word That's speaker. It, yeah. yeah. And he does speak the words so good. Um, well. <laughs> so well. Well, he Have does speak the words Americans so good. Have you noticed that Americans don't understand adverbs anyway? I respect you as a nation, but come on, guys. All right. So, Forrest Gump, I'm discounting. Apollo 13, I will accept. Yes, Apollo 13 13. is correct. I don't don't like Apollo 13. You are a fool. Apollo 13 is, even though it's highly rated, is still underrated. Apollo 13 is a magnificent film. I find it a bit boring. Apollo 13. I find you boring, and yet here I am every week. (laughs) (laughs) Much like the career of Apollo 13, you you were stuck in a confined space with me. I think I know why Helen does so many marathons. She's trying to run away from us, but in a really cack-handed way. Yeah. Yeah. Because she yeah. keeps coming she back. She comes back to the start, yeah. Helen, if you run yeah. in a straight line, you'll get a lot further. I'm, I'm going to, tr- maybe if I try ultras, maybe then that, maybe, maybe I'd get further. Maybe. All right, and my fourth, my fourth great Tom Hanks film uh, is going to be The Green Mile, which I, I, I love. But points for Captain Phillips, because it is great. Mm. It is, it is fantastic. Yeah. He has made some tremendous movies and also the Dan Brown trilogy. <laughs> he, <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something now. I'm going to point out a film mm-hmm. which uh, he made fairly recently mm-hmm. and which when we did the Tom Hanks ranking last year or the year before, won over Saving Private Ryan, over Apollo 13, over Toy Story, over Road to Perdition, what? over Catch Me If You Can, over Toy Story 2, over Captain Phillips, over Castaway, and over The Burbs, which rounded out the top 10. So, can you tell me the name of this film, which none of you have mentioned, despite the fact that we banged on about it relentlessly on the podcast, and it was deemed to be a somewhat controversial winner? 
I mean, I was on that podcast, obviously, so I remember very, very well I what it was. I believe this was your number one as well. Probably was, yeah, yeah. But I probably looked at the list before I, I came up the with it. The list is life. The list is life. Is is the list a Spielberg film? No. It isn't. The winner is not a Spielberg film. It's not Toy Story 3? It is not an animated film. Well, I, I remember not, it very well. I'm curious to hear what James remembers. I absolutely wasn't on yet another of Chris's shambolic rankings, which get everything <laughs> wrong. Uh, I've no idea. I'm, I'm flummoxed by this. Tell us, what was the controversial oh, number one? Oh, it was, it was um, Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. It was a Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. Was it now? Yes. A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood triumphed by one point over <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. Both have a traumatic opening 20 minutes, um, <laughs> but the body counts higher in Saving Private Ryan. In Just. Fairness. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, uh, which is his Mr. Rogers movie, in which he is tremendous. He and is it's phenomenal. a lovely, lovely yeah. film. Beautiful film. But looking at this list now, were we on meth? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Look, honestly. we might have, it, there may have been a little bit of recency bias, but it is a wonderful, wonderful film. And if anybody hasn't seen it out there, it's good for what ails you. Whatever ails you. I haven't, I haven't seen it. The title put me off. You, you know, it would genuinely do you good, and you that's think, why you'll never watch it. Yeah, yeah, I just I feel a beautiful. Fuck off! No, it's it's a lovely, warm hug of a film, like mm-hmm. a doggy hug of a film. It no. might even don't you know that's no. going to put him I off. Know, but I'm provocative. Um, you're, I mean, is that what that is? Mm. I I genuinely think it would do you good. I really think you'd like it. Helen, what's the special thing you're doing next year? Oh, I'm doing ten and ten running. So 10 races in 10 days. Oh, like Eddie Izzard did. How long are these races going to be? Well, that's a question, but hopefully marathons. It depends on so my training. You're going to do 10 do marathons in 10 days. Yeah. It depends on my training regime, I'll be honest. I think I speak hands. for our entire audience now when I say, why? That, that's, that's, uh, look, I, yeah, that's a question I've asked myself many times <laughs> since, uh, since signing up for it. And I think the answer comes down to peer pressure. My friends made me do it. Because it's there. I have running friends now and they are you bad examples. Running friends. Mm-hmm. They all did it like, well, they've done it a bunch, most of them, but they, they did it last, this year. And I was like, they seem to be having fun. Are they, are they better than us, your film friends? Uh, I mean, Hesitation you know, was fatal. Different. Helen has been eliminated it's from the podcast. You know. so is your WhatsApp group just all about PBs and things like that? We don't have a WhatsApp group in friends. We just talk individually, usually at races, and we just run around along for a bit and chat to each other. Is it, is it just not normally you sit in there, hi, Helen, just they're running cost? Um, I mean, yeah, some of them actually are very fast and I only talk to them at the beginning of round. But yeah, hey, I, Helen, what do you, you think about the new war movie? <laughs> Next day. Oh, yeah, I thought it was first day. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much that. On every lap, you know. You just... What about the space <laughs> do you, do Have you only become friends with these people so you can run with them and then as you overtake them, you can say, on your left? I have been known to say, on your left in races, but I don't like, that's not my... The point of having these friends, and and only a very small number of people have ever got it when I've said on your left, even if and then they were they do... wearing a Captain America shirt or I was wearing a Captain America. Like Frauds. it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like they don't. And if they do, it. if they do get it, do you marry them? Is that what happens? Is that is that how it works? <laughs> I, I don't think that's like in a contract or anything, but I guess it's there as an option. Okay. What would you do if you said on your left and a Chris and I emerged from portals and started running alongside you? <laughs> I would be astonished because neither of you run. That's so true. it would be he, a he could. surprise. He could. He says he can't. He says he's got bad knees. No, it hurts my knees. I don't like running. It hurts my knees. I, I also don't like running. It hurts my knees. And also, I'm just morally opposed to it. <laughs> one should not run unless one is being chased. As Sean Connery says in The Untouchables, enough of this running shit. <laughs> just, just like he sounds from Liverpool. Uh, anyway... Uh, so finally Tom Hanks great actor and he's being mm-hmm. a, a little bit tongue in cheek a little bit facetious four pretty good films in your in your filmography Tom I call shenanigans my friend mm-hmm. yeah if, if if the bar is only pretty good 
you know, and not excellent, he has a lot more mm. than four. I've, I've, I've one follow-up question about the okay, ranking list. Yes, please. Were the Toy Stories on there? Which ones and where were they? The Toy Stories were on there. There were two Toy Stories in the top ten. Two and one. Two and one. And, and two was higher than one? But three is the best. Well, three received nary a single vote. Well, this oh. list is even more stupid than I thought. Also receiving not a single vote, Forrest Gump. I mean, that's I mean. just because you're all twats. And uh, Philadelphia just... got a vote, Big got a vote, Dragnet, The Post, Bridge of Spies, because uh, I'm not seeing them, Sleepless in Seattle, <laughs> and League of Their Own and The Green Mile were just knocking on the door at the top. League of Their Own is great, as is the recent TV series. Yeah, really fun. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, you can slide into my DMs. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. Uh, as one of the Tom Hanks questioners did, I'm sorry I didn't get your names, but you know who you are and you can cover yourself in glory. Or you can just respond to any of my tweets on Twitter, once again, at Chris Hewitt. Or you can wait for a panicked shout out every now and again. Or you can wait for Tom Hanks to say something really stupid and then just... <laughs> and just <laughs> and he just ask it about that. Yeah. Charming and self-deprecating. Charming and self-deprecating. Sorry, Tom. Sorry. <laughs> Shall we have a guest? Let's do it. All right, so we have... BJ Novak, or we have Micah Munro? Ladies first. Micah Munro? Yeah. Okay, this interview hasn't happened yet. Brilliant. I think it's going to be incredible. I think it's going to be really great. So Micah Munro, uh, she is a fantastic actress. She had a breakthrough year in 2014 with the one-two punch of It Follows and The Guest. Uh, And then she made things like Independence Day Resurgence, not her fault, not her fault. Uh, it's the sort of thing you can absolutely see why you would do that. And then, obviously, it what happened, happened. And, you know, hey-ho. She's got another film out this year, uh, which hasn't opened in these shores yet, called Watcher, which apparently is fantastic. And mm. she's in a film out next week on Paramount Plus called Significant Other. Very excited to talk to Micah Monroe, who was in this very booth, or one that looked just like it, just a few years ago. I wonder if she'll remember me. <laughs> Probably not. Enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Chris here, just jumping in the morning after the night before, if that makes any sense. I hope you can't hear alpha blocks in the background, but I just realized as I was editing this that I didn't actually set up Significant Other. So Significant Other, which I have now seen and enjoyed, uh, is a very pared down psychodrama slash thriller about a couple played by Micah Monroe and Jake Lacey, who go for a camping trip in a very, very dense wood in the Pacific Northwest, and bad things happen. And that's all I'm going to say, because this is a movie that you should know as little about going into it as possible, which presented some problems when I was talking to Micah Monroe. But we tiptoed around the spoilers adroitly, and we had a good old chat about making the movie in a very damp and cold forest, about going to some dark places as an actress with this, about reteaming with Dan Burke and Robert Olson, the writer-director team that she had previously worked with on Villains, and about where her career has gone since The Guest and It Follows, and right at the end, whether she'd be up for reteaming with Adam Wingard on the recently mooted The Guest 2. Had a blast talking to Micah. Hope you guys enjoy it. So here we go. Enjoy again. Oh, and I do know that the Fence Fawn movie is not called Businessman. It's called Unfinished Business. I had forgotten that. But, you know, hey, it might as well be called Businessman. Anyway, Micah Monroe, enjoy once again for the third time. Enjoy. Hey, Micah, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Uh, I've got a lovely good. funky background behind me, which is... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish I could put a fun background, but... <laughs> 
didn't think to do it. I'm just paying some some guys to just stand behind me with a massive bit of cardboard. That's that's what it is. Love that. Yeah. No, I should. I should uh, have done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen. I, I I like it. The uh, the blinds down. That's a good approach. If if you if the blinds were open right now, what would I see? You would actually see um, a lot of trees. I'm like pretty much in a forest. So I feel like the background would have been great, but I got notes that like light coming from back was, you know, I was backlit. I was just a silhouette and they asked me to close the blinds. So, Oh man, because trees are so on point. They're so on point for this movie. It would have been perfect. It would have been a perfect background. Let me tell you. Oh man, that's that's the thing. But uh, but but significant other is a, a a movie that is tough to discuss without getting into spoiler territory. Oh, it is certainly tough. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you luck, and I'm here to help whenever you need it. <laughs> We've got fifteen minutes. I figure we could just spend a large chunk of that just sitting in silence and reflecting. I think that would be great. I would love that. I think that works for podcasts. I agree. No, I think it would be nice for people just kind of, you know, zen, really. <laughs> Reflecting on what you're about to see when you see significant other. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because oh, we. Yes. Yeah, because it's difficult <laughs> to talk about. That's that's the problem with significant other. But it's it's a, a movie that I think is going to live with me for a long time, and I imagine it lives with you still because every day you open your window and there's great big bloody trees, and you must be plunged back into the the film. Absolutely. Just, it's an absolute nightmare for me. So it's awesome. (laughs) I am traumatized. It does look like a very traumatic shoot. I'm imagining it was quite cold and wet and all those things. It uh, certainly was. Um, I mean, I, I, I loved it. And then also at times, you know, was slightly, I wouldn't use the word miserable, but like, you know, it would be, we were doing night shoots and it was like absolute downpour rain. We're in like mud. I'm like on the ground, like, you know, crying and terrified of something. And I was like, God, ah, oh, man, this is great. I love my job. <laughs> oh, for a warm set. Oh, for a warm trailer. Oh, yeah. Um, no, but it, it, I, I mean, it was like, honestly, so much fun because Dan and Bobby, the two directors, um, are hysterical and an absolute pleasure to work with. And also Jake. I mean, Jake is uh, an absolute dream to work with. So, you know, we we really bonded on this movie (laughs) through all the ups and downs, you know. But uh, but but as you mentioned, the, the the two directors are who you who with whom you've worked in the past, of course. So I imagine I, I have, yeah. that's you must have bonded already then. Uh, and did they? Yeah, it was totally. Yeah, I mean, I you know I had um, I think I had shot maybe two movies sort of back to back going into shooting villains, mm-hmm. and um, which was the previous movie I did with with these directors. Um, and and I just like I wasn't um, I don't know I just it, it, there were two projects that I didn't really enjoy and I was like kind of like what am I you know if I'm not enjoying that like what am I doing and and then I went to go film villains I was like oh man like you know hope for the best and I just had like truly such an incredible time and working with these directors it reminded me what I love about making movies and that it can be so much fun. You know, not only are we like, you know, it's 
certain things are serious. We have to be folk, but like, just like enjoying the process of making a movie because it's one in a million, <laughs> you know, movie gets, and it was just, yeah, it was like, it really was so important to me that that movie and when it came in my life. And um, so, yeah, when, when, when they came to me with this next script, I was just like, Oh man, I, I hope the script is good because I just, I, I adore the two of them and, and was just, you know, it, I, I also, I never worked with directors uh, or a director twice. Yeah. So what was, what was it like? Was this, was the, was the second time? I mean, first time clearly seems to be pretty good, but was second time the charm as, as they say? I, I mean, yeah, we, you know, it's, it was really, there was something so comforting about coming into a movie where you like knew these people and they were, you know, they've been a part of my life since shooting villains, you know, they've met my family, we will have dinners together. And so there was just this like, you know, natural chemistry and we both know how the other works. And so we can really very quickly tap into that, which um, is so convenient, you know, it was with a movie at this scale, you know, we didn't have a ton of time for rehearsals and whatnot. And so just kind of like already having the groundwork um, was just so helpful. And, uh, but I imagine you're out there, as we say, you know, in the, in the cold, in the forest and you're, you're, you go to some pretty, again, we're tiptoeing around stuff, but you go to some pretty dark places in this movie and some pretty raw places emotionally as well. And, you know, if you're, if you're being directed by, I, I, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but if you're directed by a director that you've met for the first time, that may be, I don't know if that's easier to get to those places. And if you suddenly then you're being directed by people who are now your friends, does that make it, yeah. does that impact the process a little bit? I mean, I, I, it, it's interesting. I guess I really hadn't thought of it that way, but perhaps it did, but it didn't feel um, more, uh, more challenging. It felt like I could get to those places maybe quicker because I just like, you know, for me as an actor, I use a lot of like personal experiences and things. and, And I think that they, you know, they've, I've known them for so long now and I feel like we're able to kind of like, they're able to kind of maybe more push me in, in a way that is nice. Um, and so I don't know, I, for, for me, it, it, I, I, I liked, I would, you know, I'd want to do it again, work mm. with someone. I don't know. It was interesting. Like I say, I, it, I think it's a great opportunity for you to, uh, to dig into a lot of stuff and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the movie in many ways is a 90 minute anxiety attack. And that's something that yes. <laughs> your character, Ruth, undergoes quite palpably as well. You know, it's depicted really, 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 really well. And that, that must be fascinating, I imagine, for you to get into and dig into. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it's tough. <laughs> Honestly, after uh, filming this movie, I was like, okay, I think I need a need a break from, uh, you know, being terrified and like panic attack after panic. Like, I, I'm just going to like take a minute because, you know, it, when you read a script, you're like, oh, this is awesome. This character, like there's so much depth. And then you get on set and you're like, oh, right. I have to like physically and mentally go through this as well. Um, and so, no, I mean, no, it was 
it was so hard, truly. It it was it was tough. But um, you know, thank God for like Jake, who's such a great actor and working off him, like, you know, that's what makes the job easier. Absolutely. And uh, the last time you were on this podcast, you were was you came to London a few years ago and you had that mm-hmm. uh, that wonderful one two punch of uh, it follows and and the guest. Oh yes. And you know, you you were talking about not enjoying the last couple of projects post or, or pre villains, really. Yeah. And you know, post those movies, were were you inundated with with similar roles and similar options, and was it tricky for you to navigate? your way through that in the wake of those two films yeah for sure i mean also like it was just so unexpected you know i had i I mean of course i you know i had been a fan of adam and and you know went in and auditioned with him and i was like oh this guy's cool but again you know i was just trying to like make money to 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 pay for rent and my to feed myself, you know? So it wasn't like a ton of thought went into these two movies that just absolutely blew up. And so after the success, it was just like, whoa, you know, it was, it was like so much opportunity came, but also with that, you know, you, you, you hope to navigate it in in the best way, but you know, you can only, you know, really have a plan. I, I don't know. It's just, it's like, it's impossible. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I just, I was like super lucky Yeah, really is all it is, you know, I'm pretty sure at the time we spoke about, you know, that idea that you can, you can get offered a lot of horror films. Um, you know, not that the guest is necessarily a horror film, but you know, it has a lot, it has a lot of the trappings and, you know, that that umbrella. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, so in a way I imagine that happened and in a way you must've wanted to run away from that that label that that definition of you yeah i think so but also i've i've spoken about this before but you know it, it follows came out the same time as the witch and baba duke two other yeah. horror films i think were truly exceptional and those three movies not to like but i i really think there was a shift in the the horror genre and those three movies were incredibly inspiring to a lot of people, a lot of filmmakers, a lot of up and coming filmmakers. And, and I think around that time. And since then there's been um, a real depth to the horror genre and like a real elegance and um, complicated characters and like, I I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up loving horror. And then I think there was a period of time where a lot of horror was, you know, very flashy and like get the sexy people and the blood and like everyone's <laughs> naked and you're like, okay. Um, yeah. But I think there's been a real shift and it's really very elevated and like incredible filmmakers are, are making very cool movies in this genre. So yeah, of course, you know, you want to be careful not to like, get stuck in this space but also like i don't know like yeah i've done a bunch of movies and a lot of them aren't horror but yeah. for whatever reason the these horror movies do really well and people really connect with them and all i all i can i mean, I mean i'm just like so so damn lucky i get to do this for like a living and this is it's pretty special, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, I, you know, speaking of working with directors for a second time, uh, 
Adam Wingard's actually working with Dan Stevens right now on Godzilla vs. Kong 2. And they're oh, yeah. Knocking seven <laughs> bells out of each other. And Adam, I don't know if you've noticed this thing. You saw this thing where he released the soundtrack for The Guest 2. Oh, yes, yes. Before yes, there's I a guest to approve some uh, cover visuals. And yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've been hearing of this. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he said to us that he might make The Guest 2 as a result of that. He wasn't planning to, but now he thinks he might do. So, you know. Just saying, throwing it out there. I mean, I'm like, yeah, Adam. You know, I'm I'm around. I could be, I could be interested. That could be interesting. Like, I'm like, well, I wonder what would happen next. <laughs> I wanted what happens next because I want the great endings in modern cinema, oh, and I need to know what happens incredible. next. The ending is, mwah, it's perfect. No, that's like endless possibility, really. So. We shall see what happens. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go, Michael Monroe. Yeah. I'm gonna let you go, but absolute pleasure. Thanks, uh, thanks once again. Okay, so that was Michael Monroe and Significant Other will be reviewed in next week's episode. Time now for movie news. And I don't think anything has happened this week. I don't think there's been any seismic <laughs> announcements that have come out of nowhere. Do you- Wolverine! Nothing, nothing what? at all. Wolverine! Nothing that- Wo- what's a Wolverine? A <laughs> it's small actually a small furry. angry animal <laughs> or a small furry angry man. Or a six or foot two a inch, six foot two inch uh, angry, <laughs> angry man. man. Yeah, played by Hugh Jackman, who is back in Deadpool 3. Um, and what and how and what is happening was my pretty much reaction. Um, I did check the date to make sure it wasn't April Fool's Day uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and and really had to think about it. And, and, you know... The internet, it got broke. The internet, it did get broke broke yeah and uh they they kind of put up a, a very very helpful explainer video that gave extremely authentic and accurate s- clues as to the plot of this film but they did assure us of course that this is a different timeline a different time Shall in fact we, from we, anything that happens in Logan when i say they i of course mean Ryan Reynolds who mm-hmm. plays Deadpool and Hugh Jackman who plays Wolverine again yes so in case you haven't seen this in case you're somehow one of the few people you've been living under a rock or you know, I don't know maybe you like the Prime Minister uh, you've been you've been hiding for the last few days <laughs> perhaps you've done something terrible to the economy and you've, you've been hiding away <laughs> to, to avoid repercussions or scrutiny of any kind and somehow you've missed this announcement video I've just thrown it out there so uh, Ryan Reynolds made an announcement video which uh, was him sitting on a sofa going hey guys uh, Ryan Reynolds here, you know, everyone wants to know about Deadpool's entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Deadpool 3 and it's going to be something special and I'll tell you guys, I've got nothing, absolutely nothing. I'm burned out, tapped out, got nothing up here at all. And then Except, someone, for, one, except, for, except for, one for one idea. idea. Yes. And then at that point, what happens? Hugh Jackman walks past behind him and he goes, hey Hugh, want to play Wolverine one more time? And Hugh Jackman says... Yes. Sure. Yeah, sure. He says something like, yeah, or sure. He says, yeah, and sure. He says, yeah, and sure. Yeah, and sure. Like, but casually as he walks upstairs, like eating an apple or something, he's going to be eating chicken again soon. Oh my God. Lots and lots. I don't think he stopped eating chicken. I think the music man was a a big thing for him. Lots of chicken for Hugh Jackman and and Ryan Reynolds for that matter. I mean, in in fairness, do they eat anything but protein? Probably not. Probably not. But uh, yeah, and this... This broke the internet. Uh, Deadpool 3 is going to see Hugh Jackman in the MCU, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as Wolverine, as Logan. And uh, <laughs> I'll be honest, guys, a smile is on my face and a little tears rolling down my cheek. Uh, and maybe a little bit of weed came out as well. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, Too I'm, much I'm, information, Chris. Maybe it is, maybe it is, but you're my friends. Not my running friends, not my special running friends, but you're my friends. And I like to share with my friends. Mm. Uh, so I'm very, very excited about this. Exactly. I'm excited about the 
Hugh Jackman ranking we do in five years' time were uh, animal attraction <laughs> places above <laughs> above Deadpool three. <laughs> He's not bad in animal attraction. I'm just is saying. It, is it called someone like you over here? It's called. Yeah. I can never remember which one's which. It's yeah. animal attraction. I think it's animal attraction like over here. I yeah. think. And someone like you in the states. Either way, it's a bad title, but, you know, it's, <laughs> hey, it exists. Um, yes. But, yeah, look, I did have worries. Obviously, we've talked about this in the past, and I've been like, uh, no, they won't have Hugh Jackman in the MCU. We might have voted this on the, on the pod at some point. I I'm, don't I'm know sure. if he'll be the sort of Wolverine prime. I think we still might have, you know, timey-wimey, multiverse stuff happening here. They may still leave the, you know, leave the door open for a recast younger... Wolverine yeah. in the MCU Prime, if you will, but I, they may, you know, but they are clearly bringing Deadpool into the fold and clearly bringing Hugh Jackman's actual Wolverine with him, and you which know, is great because I know great. I know that he's not the right height for Wolverine, no. but he's, I mean, he's the best there is of what he does, and what he does is pretty damn good. It's pretty nice, actually. It's pretty yeah, nice. It's it pretty is pretty nice. nice. And Kevin Feige has displayed a penchant over the last few years for just going, you know what? I know we've opened the multiverse and we can bring in your Maguires and your Garfields and your Patrick Stewart's as, as you know, Charlie X for a little cameo. But but also Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio mm. are the best people to play mm. Daredevil and Kingpin. So when we're looking for Daredevil and Kingpin, we're gonna we're just gonna cast those guys. And maybe he's been looking hither and lither. Maybe he's been looking yonder and honder and he's you know, I've been reading a lot of today. Talk to Seuss, and 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 you know, and he's gone. Yeah, I'm not sure any of these young up and comers can cut the mustard as Wolverine. Who's the best Wolverine? Well, it's Hugh Jackman, who actually kind of now is the right age to play Wolverine. Wouldn't it be funny if they'd just got Dougray Scott to do it? <laughs> that, that would have been honestly, amazing. I would not rule that out. I, I you know, this especially is not, in a Deadpool yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, this is not a Hugh Better Believer buddy. It's not an Amon guarantee. It's not a lot of stuff. But uh, I would not be surprised if Dougray Scott shows up in Deadpool three as a Wolverine. That would be a very, very, very funny joke to twelve. People. Yeah, I was yeah. about to say to the three people who got the gag, it would be yeah. fucking hilarious. And a single tear would roll down Dougray Scott's cheek. Yeah, and a little <laughs> bit of wee. A little bit of wee. Uh, as On well. his cheek? Never mind. I don't want to know. Well, it depends what you're aiming. Oh God. <laughs> so. Um, Ben has a theory about this. Mm-hmm. Ben has a theory in our WhatsApp group. Uh, no, no runners in that one, but still. And he thinks that the X-Men or the gradual integration of mutants like Deadpool and like Wolverine mm-hmm. into the MCU and the Fantastic Four, that they're going to be in their own universe. They're going to be in, their, uh, in a different reality, uh, part of the multiverse initially. And that Secret Wars, part of Secret Wars, is about this incursion that is set up and mentioned in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse mm. of Madness. And a part of Secret Wars, as in the recent Secret Wars miniseries, is about these two universes colliding. And then after those universes leave one universe behind, the X-Men and the Fantastic Four are going to be in this world. Like the conjunction of the spheres in The Witcher. Much like the much like that, so much like that. I just, yeah, no, it is actually like that. (laughs) (laughs) I have actually seen The Witcher, (laughs) Um, but uh, but I think that's I think that's possible. I think they're also, I mean, they're they're clearly setting up the existence of mutants, qua mutants in the MCU Prime universe, aren't they at the Mm -hmm. moment? Yep. 
So it, you know, but it seems like to get, you know, an established X-Men, an established Fantastic Four, then you may have to do some multiversity stuff. You yes. may have to do that because, yeah, it would make sense that they would just well, emerge within the MCU. You know, it feels that, you know, it feels that they've got to be the heavy hitters in their world and then they come to our world and it's suddenly it's all like... Because otherwise you've really everywhere. got to have just young mutants, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. yeah, how do you establish Yeah, how do you establish why they've just been standing, yeah. just hiding the whole time? That doesn't mm-hmm. seem very likely. But I don't know. Okay. Okay, I, I, I'm sure they could come up with a, with a fascinating reason why. You know, perhaps but, there's something, some, an altering of a timeline or something. I'm sure they could do something. But yes, I like this idea of, of converging two realities. I think that's quite cool. Also, it's, like, it, it's, a, it's a nice little metaphor for the converging of the two studios. So mm-hmm. uh, I yeah, enjoy I guess that. Yeah, it does, yeah. Fox yeah. Universe converges with the Prime Universe. Yeah. No, not Prime. That's owned by a different company. Yeah, yeah, the, the, and the Transformers turn up as well. Very, it's a whole very different thing. thing. Jeff Bezos turns yeah. up and just buys everyone at the end. Uh, a lovely present. Buys everyone a lovely present as part of Prime. It's not how Amazon works. Is it not? No. Okay. <laughs> I did get um, Deliveroo Plus on my, as part of my Prime subscription yesterday, mm. which was nice. I am super mega excited <laughs> about this. And I know that people have their issues with the Deadpool movies. I love them they're both. They're great. I think they're really, really funny. Uh, and, and, and I know people have their issues with how this impacts the perfect ending for Hugh Jackman's Logan in Logan. It happens the, before it. It's fine. I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very much with them on this. This doesn't have to be related to that. It doesn't have to displace that. And also this was, that was always a kind of its own little universe thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't clear that that even related to any of the other, you know, X-Men films, to be perfectly honest. Yep. So it's... I don't think this has to impact that. And I feel like, you know, yes, that was an elegant and a very, very good goodbye to the character. But equally, if he wants to come and have a bit of fun for a minute, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, same. But I, I would not be surprised if he hangs around. I would not be surprised if, he, if this is the beginning of <sighs> Jackman, because I honestly cannot see anyone else in that role. Um, height notwithstanding. Just chop him off at the knees and he'll yeah. be absolutely fine. And... You know, I, I can see I, I can, he's a he's a dancer. He's dexterous, uh, and I think I think in I think well, I think he might be around in Secret Wars and Kang Dynasty. Oh. Maybe, maybe. But Secret Wars, I think, is going to be about a lot of characters we haven't met yet being thrown into this, and some characters we may have met, and some characters who may be currently dead I, in the MCU. I, I feel like look, it's possible he'll hang around in the sense that he might appear in something like that. But I do feel like he's going to be in another universe and just crossing over for things like that for the most part. I don't think he's going to be like, like I said, I don't think he's going to be the Wolverine Prime. I I feel like She-Hulk has done a lot of the groundwork here for giving us characters that exist in quite a serious narrative-driven universe and having fun with Mm -hmm. them without necessarily ruining the character or making them feel incongruous. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you know, we have Hulk in She-Hulk and it is fourth wall breaking and it's comedic and it's daft and it's loads of fun. So I think, you know, while I don't want to see Deadpool turn up really in Avengers movies or into that time, because I, I, I wonder about bringing it into that tone, I think bringing existing MCU characters into Deadpool, that's absolutely brilliant. Do it. But I think, I think She-Hulk is exactly the right, the right um, example here mm. because you can absolutely bring She-Hulk into an Avengers movie and yeah. just not have her look at the camera. 100%. And you can do yeah. the same with Deadpool. You can, and in fact, true. I would That's be true. fascinated to see how that character would work because he would still be his wisecracking, you know, he'd still be going, you know, 10 to the dozen, taking the piss out of everybody. He wouldn't be able to be glib and go, hey, I know that this is just a bit of nonsense. 
So mm. that might work and that might actually you do, know, yeah. curb some of the characters. I think from some people, they find him annoying. Um, I saw some tweets to that extent the other day, but I don't. So I think it'd be interesting to see that. Uh, obviously, other things of interest. It's a, a, a reunion with his real steel director, yes, Sean Levy. Sean, and, yes. uh, and, and his be, X-Men Origins Wolverine co-star yes of course and again there's going to be lots of jokes about that oh so many I would not be surprised if he gets his mouth sewn, sewn shut at some point <laughs> no. in this movie uh, but I, I don't know I'm just tremendously excited about it and for me going back to the Logan thing Logan still exists it doesn't for me and I, I get it that some people have expressed these, these fears to me on Twitter I get it but for me it doesn't diminish Logan one bit especially since as Helen said that was already an alternate future that was that was that may not even have been the Logan that we saw in X Men and X Men Two and Three and Days of Future Past, you know, because that character gets an ending of sorts in mm. Days of Future Past, which is also a kind of lovely ending. Well, it's not really lovely. He's stranded in nineteen seventy and <laughs> trapped underwater. But you know, there is a Logan in the future who gets who gets a, a happy ending, so to speak. Watch those claws. <laughs> but this is uh, this is very exciting. I'm excited. Super, I'm excited. It's super good news. There was less good news in the MCU uh, oh, this week, no. though. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Um, Blade. Blazer. Blazer. I got go. it wrong. Um, you got it wrong. I got it wrong. Well, you threw me because you blazer. got it wrong and it threw me. No, I got it right. You went blazer, laser. I went, I went laser, blazer. Do you want me to start again? Yeah, yes. Okay. Blade. Laser. Blazer. Has lost its director, yes, no. I'm afraid so. Bassam Tariq, uh, who of course made um, Mogul Mowgli, has apparently stepped away, will no longer be helming the project. I haven't seen any particular reason apart from shifts in our production schedule. Um, he's going to remain an uh, exec producer and uh, they are now on the hunt for a new director. So whether that will... I'll do it. Well, there we go. With a hunt over, uh, <laughs> Kevin, I, I know you're listening and there you have it. Chris Hewitt is happy to make his directorial debut yep. with the 100 million, 150 million budgeted. Mm-hmm. And that goes directly to me, Kevin. Is that right? And, that and is that just how that motherfuckers works. are always trying to ice scale. This is true. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, there are reports that Mahershala Ali was not happy with the, the script. And there are perhaps scurrilous rumors going around. We don't want to give them credence necessarily by repeating everything, but that, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, that apparently the screenplay was only 90 pages long, as if that's a bad thing. Yeah, that can be sounds, a good thing. It can be yeah. a good thing to be, be be sparse and pared down. He said on a podcast entering his fourth hour. <laughs> uh, but you know you can and and also Blade it, is not the most voluble of superheroes. You precisely, know? he's not Deadpool. He's not. He is not. So um, at least it's soluble for a second. I was like, <laughs> I don't think, yeah, Blade. You're right. Blade doesn't, Blade you doesn't dissolve in water. <laughs> who does? Senator Kelly, Aquaman. <laughs> no, he very much doesn't. He doesn't. He really doesn't. What about Sam? Barockaman. <laughs> Barockaman. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that the Elton John film? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. Uh, we, we make each other laugh. Uh, Blade does not dissolve in water, but uh, yeah, Bassam Tariq has left, and this is a movie that's coming out next year, and they start shooting pretty soon, and this feels like the most fractious, or perhaps the most panicked a Marvel movie has been since Edgar Wright left Ant-Man with what six weeks to go before filming began in that one and they Mm. they pulled that out of the fire they did I really like what what they did with it Uh, I I will remain forever sad that we never got to see Edgar Wright's version of Ant-Man but uh, you know I think it it turned out very very well 
So there's a chance that this one might turn out well. But there, there are rumours that there are only two action sequences in this movie. If that's true, that's a surprise to me because mm. I think of Blade, I think of the original Blade, I think of great action sequences, great martial arts yep. action sequences mm. as Blade kicks all kinds of vampire ass. And that's what I want from this. And, you know, all you need to do is just include a, a sequence where someone ice skates uphill. That just keeps me happy. Just boom, right there. That's yeah. all you want. Yeah. That was not the only um, Marvel director news that's having causing ruptions this week because, oh. of course, Matt Shackman mm. uh, has now gone off to make Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. but he was scheduled previously to make the next Star Trek movie. Great Scott. Indeed. It was all moving forward for 22nd of December 2023. Now, they're, they've pushed it back. They've removed it from the schedule. Uh, it's basically back up in the air while they look for a new director. This made me sad. I really want the next Star Trek film. I really, really, really want the next Star Trek film. And not just because, frankly, like, because Star Trek's home is very much TV at the moment. And while I think Brave New Worlds is... Strange uh, New Worlds. Strange New Worlds. I keep calling it Brave New Worlds. Brave New Worlds actually wasn't that good, although I did watch all of it. Harry Lloyd, very good. Anyway, uh, the uh, Strange New Worlds is good, and I'm enjoying that. I must say Discovery has very much gone off the boil, and Picard Season 2 was an abomination. But Picard Season 3 will have good. the entire Next Generation cast back. Here for the wharf. All here for the wharf. But I would quite like to see a little bit more big screen uh, Star Trek because I really like Star Trek Beyond. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think Star Trek Beyond was decent. I think Star Trek Into Darkness was a piece of shit. It's not that bad. It's, I am. I will never forgive them for trying to do that ending. I will you not. You'll never forgive, forgive them for the death of your son or that. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm still upset about that ending. I just oh, can't even. But yes, Beyond was fine. I have hopes for this one. Um, if you it know, ever gets made. If it ever gets made. It, it is a real worry, but this cast schedules, getting mm. them all back together is going to be difficult uh, at the best of times. And having to shift the schedule at this point can't be easy, but uh, but fingers crossed it happens. But I have to say, like, I am getting... Strange New Worlds is really scratching the itch for me at the moment. It just feels so Star Trek. But Anson is, Mount is fabulous. Oh, God, Strange New Worlds for people who don't know? It's the Anson Mount-led uh, Star Trek show currently on, I think, Paramount Plus here in the UK. Yep. Um, Anson Mount plays uh, Christopher Pike, mm-hmm. so Kirk's predecessor mm-hmm. as the captain of the Enterprise, um, with, um, not Gregory Peck. Ethan. Ethan Peck as Spock. And they're both yeah, Gregory wonderful. Gregory Peck is would be um, <laughs> yeah, quite it would the be, flex. Really would be. Um, I mean, Ethan is he's quite good. the flex. He's good. Also. I have issues with his bowl cut, but nevertheless, it's good. It's a bit too shaggy I've for seen, me. But I, I, I mean, when we're talking hair in that show, there's only one man involved in it. Oh my god, Antamount's hair is it's, just it's this swoosh. I know. It's this. It's this ice cream sundae of a whoosh. It's is it boldly going where no hair has gone oh, before? Very much. Just so. wonderful. Yeah. See, I've seen pictures. I haven't seen. I, I I now know the show that you're talking about. And this Spock was introduced in Discovery, wasn't he? He was. Yes. Not, not like in Law and Order where you introduce <laughs> <Yeah>. things <laughs> in yeah. he, wasn't, he wasn't an exhibit no, in he wasn't. A, a court case. Star okay. Trek Discovery. No, yes. in Star Trek Discovery that's where he was introduced. Yes. And I've only seen pictures of him and he just doesn't look right to me. He does. Oh, he no, does. He does. Looks, he looks, oh, he he's a really right. good spot, although I have to say I preferred him as Spock in Discovery when he was all sort of like, you know, rugged, slightly psychotic Spock. Now he's back to being regular Spock. So, uh, so, but but he's very close to the Nimoy Spock, right? Yeah. So, like in yeah. terms of he's meant to be like what a year, or two sure. years away from yeah. that. But then, so is Quinto, right? Yeah. Uh, so is yeah. Quinto. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. 
I don't know. I need it's to good. see him in action. I need to see him it, in action. It really, I, it's a good show. It it's is a good show. It is a good show. It's also, the, well, I actually haven't finished the first season of it, partly because it's more sort of procedurally formatted. It's 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 not so much serialized, it's more episodic, which obviously tends to leave me cold. But actually, I think the crew in this, and I think they do really good things because they focus on different crew members and they mm. flesh them out. And I've said this many, many times, but Star Trek Discovery, we're in like season 15 or something, I think it's four, and I still could not, if you pin me down and put a phaser in my mouth, I could not name at least half the people on the bridge of the fucking Discovery because there is just, there's nothing there. There's no character there. Whereas I already feel I know the crew of this Enterprise better. Yeah, don't put phasers in your mouth, kids. No, don't do that. It's not, not hygienic. No, don't do that. Set phasers to floss. Yes, do that. Um, <laughs> all right, that's that's. Uh, I hope that they find a director. I'm available to do that as well. Good. Wow. Okay, you're going to do both. This is mm-hmm. fantastic. Well, I mean, you're solving Hollywood problems here, right, left I'm and center. I'm solving my own problems Are because you... I need to pay my energy bill soon. So if I can get <laughs> 100 million from Blade and 150 million from a Star Trek movie, just put that into my account, and then like Father Ted, that money was just resting just in my resting account, in your account, and I just used what half of it to pay my energy bill for the month, oh and then yeah. off we went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Happy days. So, Bring, bringing home the bacon, which segues hey. neatly into Beverly Hills Cop 4, which has cast Kevin Bacon in a role. We don't know what role, but a role. Do you think he's police captain or do you think he's bad guy? Oh, could go either way, couldn't I it? I think he's police captain who is bad yes. guy. Yes. <gasps> yes. Wow, he's no Bogomil. You've blown this thing wide open. You have. Paul Reiser also back. Oh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about this. Uh, I shouldn't be. Fun. I shouldn't be because you know I've been burned before. But uh, I don't know. Could it be good? Do we think? Is there a chance? Of course it could, could be good. Of course it could, could be good. I mean, evidence. Keep saying it to keep yeah. I I There's been no evidence. No, it's more like that, I but... said it and it didn't sound like yeah. I said the words right. Did I? Of no, you course didn't. it could it, be good. At no point did you say the words right, but that's fine. Okay, of course it could be good. You, you said, of course it could be. It could be good. Yeah, I did. I did. did. Something went you really did. weirdly it wrong. It might be yeah. good. It wow. could possibly be good. But like coming to America, I did not enjoy. Coming to America was a disappointment. And this is and the third, and let's be honest, well, the second Beverly Hills Cop is watchable. I actually the quite like it. The second one is but... fine. The second one is good. Yeah. The third one, not so much. But no. this could be, you know, they've they've spent so long nearly making this. This this script surely has something to it to get them all back, to get this into production, to get it actually. It needs some edge. But don't call me Shirley. (laughs) It needs some edge because I think like like 3 was very much felt like a sanitised Beverly Hills Cop and certainly a lot of his latter films have been like that. It's like go back to 80s Eddie Murphy, make it sweary, make it edgy, make it kind of like, make the violence quite sort of tangible, quite visceral. Because like Beverly Hills Cop is really nasty in places. And I think actually that works. I loved that sort of thread of comedy in the 80s where it was like, it's a proper action film and the comedy and the action sit together really well. Whereas I think Eddie Murphy's return to, like Coming to America, like the original Coming to America, is part comedy, part drama. You know, it's got a lot of dramatic sort of like chops to it. Whereas Coming to America is... No, but like like I was swept up in it. You take out the jokes, it's still a good film. Whereas Coming to America is just like, they're trying to roll out the gags every five minutes. It's like, just tell a story and then make it funny. Don't try and construct a narrative around jokes. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Like, swearing alone doesn't, will not make it good. Helen, I think we can all agree swearing is both big and clever. Yeah. Hey, bringing things back to our man of the hour, Tom Hanks, um, there was a tiny piece of news this week. So he's making uh, Robert Zemeckis's next film called Here, which is based on a graphic novel, which is, uh, it's about one single room and the interconnected stories of, of the people who have inhabited that room over apparently thousands of years. So Tom Hanks um, and Paul Bettany and Robin Wright 
have now been cast in that um, with Eric Roth doing the screenplay. Amazing. Sounds good. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so uh, just a couple of exciting things as well. Babak Anfari, uh, the director of Under the Shadow and I Came By, which mm. is on Netflix uh, currently. Hugh Bonneville goes mad, <laughs> essentially. Terrifying Hugh Bonneville. Uh, is going to direct the next Cloverfield film and it's mm. going to be written by Joe Barton, uh, who yes. is a wonderful, wonderful writer and a lovely guy. So we wish them... Well, obviously there's no details about it, but it will involve some sort of clover field. So we're excited. Who doesn't love a field of clover? Yeah, I, honestly, I thought that franchise had died with the Cloverfield paradox. So did I. So I'm glad that they're firing it up once more. Some more giant monster action. Mm. Or what, what? Yeah. Go- 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 Joe Barton, who wrote The Lazarus Project, which I very much enjoyed with Papetta Siedo. Uh, uh, Dave Bautista is going to star in Drew Pierce's Cooler, which is exciting. Very excited about this. So Bautista's going to play a South Beach bouncer who's on the brink of finding redemption and getting his family back, but when a drug-filled safe is stolen from the super club he works at, he's blackmailed into finding it before the Miami PD Narcotics Bureau comes to retrieve it on Sunday night. He must now survive an epic 36-hour odyssey across Miami Beach to get the safe back. That's exciting. That is exciting. I went for a walking tour around Miami Beach. It's a lovely place. Aw. There you go. There you go. That's very good. Uh, And we had some sad news. During we the did, week, we, yeah. we lost the uh, great Oscar-winning actress Louise Fletcher, who was indelible, of course, as Nurse Ratched in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, she died at the age of 88. She was living in France. She was living her, her days in France. Mm. Um, and I think, Helen, it's fair to say that she was let down by Hollywood after One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and she may, probably didn't get a role as good as that again. And, and they didn't really know what to do with her. I she think. did get one role as good as that, but it was on TV. Um, James is laughing at me because he agrees. <laughs> I, I would think. argue the defining role of her career. Genuinely. I think we can all agree as Vedic and later Kai Wynn yeah. in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It, it is another one of the great villain roles yeah. and she played it unbelievably well across a, what, eight, seven, eight year period. Um, but she's she's genuinely one of the most chilling Star Trek villains ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, she was, she, was, she was very good whenever she was given the chance to turn up to something. You know, she was... Um, she was the mother in the Karen Carpenter story, which as TV movies go, was extremely good. Um, she got a couple of Emmy nominations for uh, Picket Fences and Joan of Arcadia. Um, she was in Shameless more recently. So she was always good. It was just that, you know, Hollywood didn't give her the chances that I think she needed mm. on the big screen. But she was so good in Cuckoo's Nest. Just astonishing. Terrifying. And, and again, terrifying. It's just that that fact of being in power over someone and ev- and, and that very calm reserved, uh, quiet-voiced um, faux sweetness that she could do better than basically anyone else. It, it is one of the most indelible v- villains, I think, ever. Mm-hmm. And um, and was done a disservice, frankly, by the recent TV prequel. But anyway, but, but you know, her mm. Nurse Ratchet remains untouchable. Untouchable, indeed. Uh, Louise Fletcher, who passed away last week at the age of 88. This is always a tricky segue. Uh, to go from an obituary to plug in the new issue, but the new issue of Empire is out right now, folks. It is New Empire Day as we are recording this podcast, and it is a cracker of an issue. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to get into it, but what's in it? There's great stuff. Black, Black Panther, Panther, Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. 
wow, that's almost like you planned it. <laughs> we literally didn't. Uh, but yeah, the, this is the, the cover story with mm. all of the news that is fit to print about the upcoming Black Panther sequel. So the the entire cast, pretty much, and director, of course, Ryan Coogler, get into it with Amon Warman about you know how they dealt with the great tragedy of Chadwick Boseman's death, of course, and, and how they responded as a group and and you know what their priorities were going into this film and, and trying to make it... Um, not just a great movie and a great sequel, but also I think a great tribute and a testimony to him. Yeah. So, um, so it's a really emotional piece uh, and really, really fascinating stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's obviously front and center. And we have these incredible covers with some of the women of Wakanda on one cover, and then this uh, fantastic interpretation for the subscribers cover of Namor's headdress, um, done by the production designer Hannah Beachler. Uh, as you who did, you'll remember the, the subs cover for the first Black Panther, and it's amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a that's a cracking issue. I can't remember anything else is in it. What's it, what else is in it? Uh, Director Park wrote a piece for us on Park Chan-wook, Yeah, on decision to leave, uh, which is very very interesting, very good on that particular film. What else have we got on there? Wednesday, we've got the Tim Burton Wednesday series. We spoke to Tim Burton and everyone involved in that show. We've got an amazing interview that Boyd did with Jodie Whittaker talking about her exiting the role as the Doctor in Doctor Who. That is one you definitely want to read. Uh, We've got Michael Giacchino talking about Werewolf by Night. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We've got Colin Farrell talking about the Banshees of Inner Sharon, and I feel like it was an actual violence against me and my people that I wasn't uh, called on to do that, but whatever, I guess. Uh, Lashana Lynch as well, fantastic interview with her talking about Bond and Captain Marvel and everything in between. Um, so yeah it's a packed packed issue this week a lot of great stuff inside the issue a lot of great stuff inside the issue there's lots of great things inside the issue there's things in my section as well can I remember what they are no I can't there's a thing on Colin Trevorrow talking about Jurassic World Dominion yes and Baz Luhrmann talking about Elvis and uh, the Black Phone we have Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill talking about the Black Phone and we have the ranking of Marilyn Monroe and there's great stuff inside the news section as well and oh it's just brilliant Greg (laughs) Nicotero talking about The Walking Dead because it's about to finish. I'm sure you're talking about that in the Pilot TV podcast. We will be, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a good issue. It's a great issue. There's right. a lot of great stuff inside the issue. Right. And it's it on sale now. Right now in all good and evil news agents. Oh, and if you're, over, if you're overseas, if you're not in the UK, sign up and become a member and you can read it right now digitally. Right now. Right now. Pay our wages, you yeah. absolute motherfuckers. Again, Chris, no. Time now for our second guest. Who we got? We've got BJ Novak or BJ Novak. Who do you want? BJ Novak? BJ Novak yeah, is BJ fine. Novak, Novak. Yeah. You know BJ Novak. He's Ryan from The Office. Ryan started the fire! You know that episode? No. No. I don't watch The Office. Of course you don't. But that's all right, because it would be lost on you. It would. Lost on you and lost on the likes of you, even though you're, you're very Dwight Schrute. <laughs> and yet, I don't know, maybe you're seeing too much for yourself. Anyway, BJ Novak, it was Ryan in the office, and after the office finished, he did a lot of stuff, and he was in Inglorious Bastards, and he wrote an incredible children's book called The Book With No Pictures. Yeah, and, good book. Uh, and he was writing here, there, and everywhere, but he has waited a long time to make his directorial debut on the big screen, which he does with next week's Vengeance, in which he plays a podcaster, <gasps> hello, who goes out to Texas to kind of semi-investigate, but also semi-exploit the murder of, or potential murder, of a ex-girlfriend of his. And along the way, he gets involved in some shenanigans and maybe learns a little bit about himself as well. Mm. And this is not only BJ Novak's directorial debut, he also wrote it and he starred in it as well. And I had the pleasure of talking to him on Zoom just last night and we had a chat about that and a great many things. 
Here we go. BJ Novak. BJ started the fire! We didn't talk about that, weird enough. Okay. Just didn't feel like it was the right time to get it into the interview. Probably fair. BJ Novak, enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the writer, director and star of Vengeance, Mr. BJ Novak. How are you, sir? I'm great, thank you. Did I get that in the right order? Writer, director, star. What, what do you consider to be the most important role in this movie for you? Uh, you got it in the exact right order. Uh, to me, every, everything I do in my mind is writing and it is further expressing the writing. So if, by the way, it's only in Hollywood, I think that people give each other all these different titles for the same job. Yes, there are some people that only write or only direct, but there are plenty of people here and in the UK who are known, especially in comedy. They just make their own thing, right? Yeah. Whatever the show is or whatever. But I often say, if you were if you were in another field, if you were a lawyer, no one would say, you do it all. You research, you argue, you, uh, you present closing arguments, you do opening arguments. How do you do it all? You know, well, it, it's all part of the same job to me. And um, I, I feel that writing, you know, I don't know architecture enough to make the same metaphor, but uh, it would be, you know, making the blueprints to me is about being the architect and then making sure it's done uh, in the spirit of what you envisioned, which sometimes means changing, given the authority to change, you know what, that does not work or that is not as interesting as what I thought, um, or this actor makes it so much better than I would have thought, et cetera. To me, that's the directing part. And then the starring part for me is just, oh, let me show you this guy <laughs> that I was <laughs> picturing. And uh, I'm sure I won't play him, you know, like Adam Driver or, you know, one of the great, great actors could, but I can definitely express what I'm trying to say about this character. So to me, I, it, it goes in exactly that order. Writer is always first in anything I do. And then if I do something like direct or act or produce, it is always because the script is what interests me. I can't picture myself directing some someone else's script, for example. Um, it, it, I'd feel like it'd be like copying someone's homework. Uh, yeah. To a lot of people, that's their art. But to me, uh, to me, it's all just an extension of writing. I'm proud of it. I like, I like the other work, but from where I come from, it's all writing. My understanding is that you started really properly doing research on this movie back in 2015, but it must have been percolating for some well, time before that. I mean, I practiced long before that by living such a shallow life, <laughs> um, which is really the starting point of this character who um, finds out that just a hookup to him and his phone seemed to think they were more serious. And um, he's out with John Mayer. He thinks he's having the time of his life and he's inside kind of lost and not as cool as he thinks he is. So that part of the research was, you know, that was my entire, you know, <laughs> 30 years. Uh, and <laughs> I, yeah, my entire life, unfortunately. But then once I realized, oh, well, that's funny. A guy like this gets a phone call like that. Where does he have to go that he does not want? He wants to be at Soho House with John Mayer. Where does he have to go? And I thought I literally looked at a map and I thought, well, Texas, he'd have to go to Texas. And at first I thought, oh, that's such a cliche. We all know Texas from the movies. And then I thought, well, that that's interesting because first of all, it proves it it works in a movie. And second, I think we know the myth. And the myth is a little scary, Texas, if you're not from there. And and this is a writer who'd want to get under the skin of that. So on many levels, I thought, well, this would be great to really tell a real Texas movie in 2020, you know, when, when I shot it. And and what is the sort of Old West and what is vape shops? You know, what is this place? So I went there a lot because I wanted 
the people there to feel like it was their movie. Like it wasn't just a movie making fun of them that I got their details right. So I went on a lot of trips to, uh, to West Texas, Central and West Texas to kind of just get under the skin of the town. And I was amazed at how much I was welcomed by people that had every reason to think and probably did think that I was some blue state, you know, coastal elite that uh, in skinny jeans, as they called them, which by the way, I think are like wide leg jeans, <laughs> but like, you know, some guy like that, who's probably out to make fun of them yeah. and um, whatever they were trusting, they were warm. They had a good sense of humor and sport. And, um, and I was very welcomed and that warmed me up. And, and you can really see that in the movie too. So, so, but was there a suspicion, mistrust on those, maybe the first couple of visits? You know, no, I, I mean, not that, not that made its way to me. And, and that was the first and, and most surprising thing about my trip to Texas is that they were not, um, they did not show any distrust. Perhaps they felt it or had already resigned themselves to it, but they showed me a very, very uh, open spirit. They opened all the books and said, oh, come make fun of us. Come see this, come see that. Um, so they were very warm and trusting and, and it, it did take me off guard because I didn't expect to find that. So, so uh, how much did that process shape what the film became? How much, do, how much of the film did you have in your head when you, when you set off on that first, that first trip? Um, what I had, I had the structure in my head. Uh, what I did not have was the heart that comes out in, in part two of what you said, the directing, really. Um, it was a bit of rewriting, but really the writing, quote unquote, that is the directing is the showing don't tell. I love to tell. I love the words. Everyone <laughs> has long monologues in my movies, movies, <laughs> meaning if I get to make more, but, uh, but the show part conveys a ton of creativity and information too. And that really, you have to take a backseat to the actors, to the landscape, to the cinematographer. And those details were really conveyed as a result of my uh, visits there. When I learned the spirit and the um, the people, that was kind of how I gravitated towards the cast, the casting process, in the rehearsal process, in the timing of the editing. That was really reflect, reflected that warmth and uh, and trust when they had no reason to trust him. You see that the first time Ben, my character, sits down at their dinner table, um, quite on guard, and their warmth really melts and and disarms him. And their pace is different too. And so that sort of detail I would not have gotten had I not been on these trips. I think it would have been a, a meaner spirited movie to my character. It would have been more a satire and less a, a comedy. Was the film always called Vengeance for you? Or what it was definitely, that? it was always called Vengeance. I the, the few things I've done in my life, when there's a title early on, it takes away 90% of the stress for me. And I saw a poster. I was at the Cannes Film Festival when Inglorious Bastards came out and there was a poster for a movie called Vengeance starring Johnny Halliday, the French singer. And, uh, you know, it was like Hong Kong style. I think it was Johnny Toe directed it and he had a gun by his side and he was in the rain in an alley. He said, Vengeance. And I thought, oh, I'd like to star in a movie called Vengeance. And I, I kind of smiled because I was like, well, everyone would know that it's not really a vengeance movie, but it's not quite a parody either. What would vengeance be? And also just every kid daydreams like being in a badass movie called Vengeance. So I kind of laughed to myself, not thinking that would ever happen. But then when I came up with this plot, I thought, oh my God, that's vengeance. I actually get to do that. So um, so the title was 
was sort of a treat to realize like, holy shit, like, is that, it's like owning a Lamborghini. Like you wanted it in third grade, but then, you know, you grow up and you're like, even if I could afford a Lamborghini, what the fuck am I going to do with a Lamborghini driving around, like <laughs> roar in traffic, turn off everyone I actually respect. <laughs> like, you know, but the little part of me will never have a Lamborghini. The part of me that's like, I want to start a movie called Vengeance. I was like, holy shit, that actually is the correct title for this movie. One of the things that that, uh, that struck me about Vengeance was uh, literally the, the, the company credits that come up at the beginning and it's it's a Blumhouse movie. And Blumhouse yep. usually indicates horror to an extent. Yeah. Uh obviously, you know, they, they, you know, Jason's done different things. He produced Whiplash, of course, but was was that something that, you know, did you have initial conversations? Have people mistaken this for a horror film because of the Blumhouse yeah. credit? Well in the press, my dad was upset about it because he has a Google News alert for my name, which is a terrible burden on him <laughs> but um but he was angry you know they keep saying horror movie um, i was like they'll they'll get it they'll get it yes blum has done he has a, a side lane in tv he does everything but in movies there is this um little tradition of now and then whiplash was one and um black clansman was one uh you know they have some movies that are sort of they're more art movie lane but i went to them because they had just done get out and I thought I would like that help without without someone like that guiding me. I worried that my movie would be too um, boring, honestly, too philosophical. I thought I really do want these two movies. I want the New York movie, but I do want the Vengeance movie. And how do I um, how do I get help making it that too? So I approached Jason Blum through Cooper Samuelson, this great producer who really shepherded the movie through every creative stage, and. I liked their DNA, but the funny thing is that, um, and and they have great crews. They they really have great people, and a lot. So much of producing a movie is just hiring people who know good people that will do it for free. Not free, sorry, for free for them for cheap, um, because they're it, you know it's a cheap movie and and um, scrappy company. It so doesn't feel like a cheap movie. No, thank you. It doesn't feel like a cheap movie, but um, it had to be because we didn't have any big stars and it was hard to pitch. So it was a low budget movie, but. Exactly. What you're seeing on screen is how do we stretch every dollar? And that's what they're very good at. And it is part of that, you know, I know I know you and Ashton Kutcher, for example, go way back. This was part of that, you know, calling up mates and saying, Can you do a mates rate gig from here, Ashton? Can you oh, well, in? they get they get the mates rate gig from everybody because there's no alternative for them. But they do give some points. They give some ownership yeah. to the people. Um, like Ashton. Ashton, I think look, he's a businessman. He wouldn't have done anything as a favor for me, I think. Um, but I think it did make him, I, it did make him smile when he got the script that, oh, I know this guy. I gave this guy his big break. Um, and it was really, really fun to sort of bookend my career, um, which I guess is over. <laughs> um, to bookend my career if it ends today, starting with the first job I got, which was Ashton hiring me for punked to play pranks on TV and then ending with, um, with him stealing the show in, in my first and only movie. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> right now, you're well, in, a few, in a few days' time, your dad's going to get a Google alert yeah. going, BJ Novak's career is over. I should be like Notorious B.I.G. or something, just like, he was hinting at it in every interview. <laughs> a so, small corner of people who like deadpan comedy are like, oh, what a loss. <laughs> <laughs> So I have to ask about this Google alert your dad's got set up. Uh, does he call you if he if he if something comes up and he doesn't like what he sees or? Uh, he was frustrated by that. He um, he sends me good reviews. Okay. 
um, if he finds them. But, you know, over the course of my career, so much as, you know, Mindy Kaling's baby daddy, question mark. So he must have gotten so many things that he just ignores, you know. <laughs> so he doesn't call you about that stuff. No, he doesn't. Although right. my mom wants to tell me, right? <laughs> it's like she's like, I read all this stuff. Um, anyway, but no, they, they see all of it, which is embarrassing, um, that they just don't mention it, but you know, he'll send a good review. I don't read it. It's too overwhelming, too distracting. I just want to talk about the, uh, the directing part as well for you. Yeah. So how, how does BJ Novak, the director direct BJ Novak, the actor? Well, um, that was the thing I was most nervous about. Honestly, I was most nervous about this thing. It's not even me. It's really everyone I believe, but you know how, Someone can take a bad picture of you and you're like, oh my God, never show me that picture again. You know, I was like, what if that happens to a fucking scene? What if I see a scene in the editor? I'm like, oh fuck, I look terrible. Cut the scene. <laughs> like, I can't do that. How am I ever going to do this? And how am I going to avoid editing it so that, you know, oh, I look good in that shot. Have you noticed? I, uh, I have this theory that I haven't asked around about it, but when someone shows you a group picture and says, what do you think? Do you ever look at anyone else in the picture? You're never <laughs> like, well, you look best in this one. <laughs> You're always like, which one do I look okay in? If you, if it's like, which group picture is our best? You, everyone else's eyes could be closed and you'd be like, oh, this one, right? Because we're all so self-conscious or scared of looking bad or whatever. I think it's very human. So, um, so that was my fear that I would prioritize that in the edit bay. And so what I did was I brought on this woman, Lee Kilton Smith, as our executive producer, who is from small town, Texas, has great opinions about everything, but she is an acting coach, one of the revered acting coaches in LA. And what I really wanted was for her to be there every single take um, of mine and the other actors, but really mine to, um, I wouldn't quite say direct my performance, but keep an eye on my performance, rehearse with me yeah. on the weekends. And uh, so I really handed it over to her. And then I would look at every take, I'd look at every setup uh, on playback to make sure I didn't hate how I looked. Because if I hated how I looked, I might do that fucking thing in the edit bay and say, cut the scene. And I was like, okay, I look okay. I look fine. And now, and now I hand it over to Lee. Now you tell me when I'm, when you can see me directing in my eyes, when you can see me thinking about the shot and when you can see me as the character and, and she guided that. Amazing. And did you, did that happen? Did you find yourself directing oh, yeah. in the scene? Absolutely. Absolutely. She would come over and, and whisper to me, um, Hey, you know, and, and you know, catch me. She caught me. Day one on set, you've directed before and correct me yes. if I'm wrong. Your first experience directing was on webisodes for, for the office. Oh, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that well, you know, and, and how things have changed from those initial days to now? You know, I don't remember directing. I remember directing my first episode of The Office. Um, I bet you're right that I directed the webisodes first, but they were such a blur. Um, you know, it's funny that webisodes never, never mattered. They really were telling us, oh, this is the future, you know, but how would they know what TikTok would be? And the TV would actually be bigger than ever now. People binge hours and hours of shows at a time. Yeah. But oh, webisode. We were always like, webisode, okay. And they're trying to like boost NBC.com and stuff. So we use the webisodes as a way to give the writer's assistants their first scripts. And the, oh, yes, I did direct. Because um, the writer's assistants, Jonathan uh, and Nate wrote the episodes. And then I directed 
the, a batch of episodes. Yeah. And then, and then that was your practice to direct an episode. Yeah, if, if yeah, that's what it felt like to me looking from the outside in. It feels like this was, you know, the, the proving ground, if you will, the episodes, yeah. and then you you step up to direct for the show. And once you do direct for a show like that, you know, which has this, I I don't know how loose the office was, but it always felt that in terms of the camera work, it it had a very loose style to it. And what that experience was like for you, and how much things changed for you when you stepped on set of Vengeance for for day one. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, it's so much of directing tv especially the office is simply learning that there's nothing to be afraid of that um there is no magical chasm uh that changes if between being the kind of person that's that can say action and the kind that can't i think that scares off so many writers so many actors that they just seem confident saying action and you feel intimidated so so much of directing is simply just learning like oh you know as the producer al ruddy told me once you only need to know two things to direct what you want and how to get it. Okay. <laughs> Those are hard. But if you know that, and it's true for anything in life, if you know what you want and you know how to get it, which tends to mean communicating it clearly, mm-hmm. confidently, and humbly to the people that can help you get it done, then you can direct. So that was the main lesson from that. And then you just translate that. Okay. Well, I want a grand wide opening shot of this truck driving up. Um, how is that really different from I want to see you know, Jim whispering in Pam's ear, just different thing to get. By the way, that is one of the best casual name drops we've ever had in the podcast. Already? Yeah. Just yeah, oh, yeah. Him in there. Well, this is the rare podcast that would care about that name. Most people just, I was like, oh, do that gravelly voice imitation again. You only need two things. You know? <laughs> uh, I'm you- friends with his daughter, Al- uh, Allie Ruddy, who wrote for my TV show, The Premise. And so I know Al through Allie. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. So, it's like, is there like a six degrees of BJ Novak that we could do, and you could? You know. I sat next to Kevin Bacon recently. Oh, there you go. That's um, one at a party. So, you know, aren't we done? <laughs> Isn't that how it goes? I, I made it. I did That's it. it. That's it. There you go. If you've interviewed or even sat next to Kevin Bacon, you are done. Life is complete. Uh, but I have to ask BJ, I mean, because obviously, you know, you've done so much since the office finished. Uh, but it's taken a long time for you to direct a movie. Yeah. Was this always on the bucket list or was this something that you were thinking about maybe one day? What kept you basically is what I'm trying to say. Um, uh, it was hard to do and uh, confidence wise, I think it was, it was always, it was the first dream I ever had uh, of all of these things was to be a writer or director. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll try to write TV and then, um, if I write comedy TV, then I can write a movie, then I can direct a movie. And that is indeed what happened, but it took a long time. I did not expect to act. I loved it. Um, I loved it. And I took every opportunity that I had, but I didn't expect to end up acting. I didn't expect the TV show to go on so long. I didn't um, expect to write, to have ideas for books, which I did. And I wanted to see them through. Um, and then TV became bigger than movies. And I thought, well, I can't turn down my TV opportunities. TV is the new movie. And, and maybe I'm outdated to think I want to direct a movie. And then when I got to do this, I thought, oh my God, finally, I was right all along. This is what I wanted to do. So, um, I hope I do many more. Although I, if I don't, this podcast really summed up my career because (laughs) I really bookended everything we really have and uh and obviously it's a it's a movie that uh i think is a bit of a left field turn for you uh you know there, there, there's there are comedic moments it, it did make me laugh but it, there's a obviously a much more serious movie here than i think people might have expected from you was there 
are there comedies sitting in the drawer that haven't been made yet? Most of the things I write are like this in the sense that they, the cleverness is really in the, in the concept of, oh, that's an interesting um, challenge or blend of tones or, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, whatever, by the way, I think there was one studio comedy that came out this year. So I would, I was trying to think of a typical comedy, but there really are no typical comedies that come out. Like the hangover was a long time ago, mm. you know? So um, I would love to write the hangover, but I don't, no one's, no one's writing the hangover, including me right now. So I think um, finding things that fit the moment, but are still comedies is, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, nothing is like vengeance, but nothing is standard either that I'm, that I'm working on right now. And I really do hope that I'm the guy who um, brings a sense of humor to everything that I do. You know, I, I, I just think everything should have more comedy in it. Honestly, I think Scorsese, the one thing no one mentions about Scorsese being probably the greatest of the filmmakers is how funny he is. Mm -hmm. His casting is inspired. The performances are so funny. The timing of his edits are so funny. It's just invisible because he's so brilliant at things that we value so much more. But, um, you know, in the Coen brothers too, in, in no country for old men, there's great humor and, and wit in everything they do. So to me, I aspire to the people that use comedy as a secret weapon. You watch the Wolf of wall street. You think it's cool. You think it's exciting. You don't really remember that you were smiling so much because there was Rob Reiner was doing random things in it. Matthew McConaughey, let alone Jonah Hill, let alone those famous scenes, you know, and after hours and, um, even the non-comedy, the casting yeah. of Sandra Bernard in The King of Comedy, like this is to me a comedy person, but the ultimate in Tarantino is the same way to use comedy as your secret weapon, I think is the ultimate, um, should be the ultimate goal of of a comedian. Fantastic. Well, listen, I can't wait to see what you, what you do next. Uh, and it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to let you go. BJ Novak. Thanks so much, man. Cheers. I hope I do retire. That's how much I like that interview. Okay, so that was BJ Novak, and now let's dig deep into what's on at the Multiplex and indeed at the Silverplex this weekend. Uh, where should we start? We have quite a lot of films. Quite this a week. lot of films. Shall we start with Blonde? Okay, let's start with Blonde. So this is Andrew Dominic's adaptation of Joyce Carol Oates's book, which is inspired by the life of Marilyn Monroe, Anna de Armas, playing Marilyn herself. Um, it it really does sort of you know, go right through from her childhood right through to death. Um, it, it recreates scenes from some of her most famous films. And uh, Andrew Dominic's kind of thesis with all of this was to use photos that exist of Marilyn as his guide. So he has built the entire film around images of her that exist. So it changes aspect ratio. It changes from black and white to colour and back again with no obvious rhyme or reason but it is entirely because he's recreating these images and he's trying to recreate the stuff we know about Marilyn and then tell this story beyond it. It's an incredible, incredible looking film. As a piece of filmmaking, it is unbelievably ambitious and daring and idiosyncratic and, and just weird, like nothing you've ever seen before. Anna de Armas is unbelievable as Marilyn Monroe. She has the, the diction and just the 
the the flow of her speech down pat. She looks incredibly like her with uh, thanks to, you know, makeup and hair and then also like camera angles and stuff. They've just mm-hmm. got her looking astonishing like like Marilyn, but but it goes beyond you know impersonation. It's also a great great performance, and she is put through the emotional ringer mm-hmm. because this is very much Marilyn as tragic victim, really throughout her life, being used by one man after another, um, and that is the big big issue I have with this film. Um, and I think a lot of people who have criticised it have said this: it does not give Monroe much or nearly any credit for the for the the work that she put into her career, for the control that she did wrest from other people about her career uh, and from, you know, the things that she actually, she was responsible for doing in her success. It wasn't just she looked good and, and therefore everything finally happened for her. You know, she did a lot to make it happen. Mm-hmm. She worked mm-hmm. with photographers to learn to pose, to learn to look good on oh, she, camera. Oh, yeah, she reinvented herself. She reinvented herself, soup to nuts, you know. Um, and I don't think he gives her the credit she deserves for her strength. Um, I think it's very much, look at all these awful things that happened to her. And, and it can feel a little bit voyeuristic and exploitative because of that. And I, I, I think that's a shame. I mean, this is honestly, I, I said this before, I think, um, when we've been talking about this film, but it is... It's the first film since Speed Racer where I came out and I thought that's somewhere between a one and a five. But honestly, I can see a, I can see a case for every single one of those star ratings in between, mm. between literally one and literally five. Mm. Um, if you give if you give me any of those, I'll be like, yeah, I can see why you say that. I, know, I, I yeah. just it's it's so overwhelming. It's very long. It's very detailed, and there's just so oh, it's much of it. Grueling. It's grueling. Yeah. And because it's just as you say, it's it's demeaning incident after demeaning incident. It's it's Anna de Armas either in uh, just sobbing quietly or in great big racking sobs. It just seems like it's that for a long time. Uh, yeah. But as a piece of filmmaking, oh, it's astonishing. It's, yeah. it's exquisite. But the the discourse we're 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 getting into Oscar season, so film Twitter is in the midst of discourse inferno right now. It's 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 just racked by the stuff. And the discourse on Blonde is Blonde bad. I I don't think it's quite that simple. I, I've seen a, a fair amount of the discourse. The discourse. Um, and I, I do feel like there's a lot to be said about this film. And quite frankly, Andrew Dominic wants it. Andrew Dominic is absolutely happy to have these arguments, to have these conversations. He's a very confrontational He's a filmmaker. a very confrontational filmmaker. And that's part of the strength of this film for me, that it wants to provoke a reaction in you and it doesn't actually care if that reaction is good or bad. Uh, this is the film he wanted to make. This is what he ended up with. He is very happy with that. He does not give a fuck. And I mean this as a compliment, what you think of it. And yeah, so so in that respect, I, I have so much respect for this film and I have so little respect for this film's lack of respect for Marilyn Monroe, if you yeah, like it. I if, know if exactly you mean. Me. Yeah. But, um, but I do think that Catherine Bray wrote a really fair and balanced review of this, that it has these enormous strengths and this, this sense of daring and possibility and that it really pushes boundaries. Um, but, you know, certainly don't go into this expecting a fair and balanced view of the life of Marilyn Monroe. It is a piece of fiction. It is not strictly mm-hmm. a biopic. Three stars in for Blonde. Uh, what's next? We got Hocus Pocus 2, which is on Disney Plus right now. We have... Flux Gourmet, which is the new film from Peter Strickland. And we have Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. What does she do when she gets her Jimbo? Tits about. <laughs> Great. Four stars in for Mrs. Harris <laughs> Goes to Paris. What happens? 
What happens if Mrs. Harris goes to Paris? Well, uh, this is Anthony Fabian's film. This is, I think, the fourth or fifth adaptation of this book, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, uh, which is written by, he says, in no way immediately going to Wikipedia to look it up. You're, you're styling it out very well. You're I covering, am, you're yeah, covering yeah, your yeah, tracks I'm doing nicely. Yeah. Yeah, Google's right. Mrs. Harris goes... Oh, here we are, here we are, here we are. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Paul Gallico. There you go, he wrote the book. Anyway, so this one stars Leslie Manville as Ada Harris. She's a widow. She lost her husband in the war. She's a cleaner. And uh, she has a, a number of clients, and they're all, frankly, absolute shitbags to her. And, you know, she, she has sort of a, a sort of a modest life, but she encounters a dress while cleaning one of these houses. It's a Christian Dior dress, and she is absolutely captivated by it. But it costs £500, which even now is quite a lot for a dress, but then is a stupid amount of money. But she she has a little bit of a flutter on the horses, wins some money, she wins the pools, and she gets a little bit of money, she scrimps and saves, she decides she's lost her husband, she's unhappy, she's going to go to Paris, she's going to go to Christian Dior, and she's going to spend £500 on a Christian Dior dress. She's going to treat herself, she's going to do it. So Mrs. Harris packs up her bags, heads off to Paris, and goes to Christian Dior, where she immediately runs into Isabelle Huppert, who has absolutely none of it whatsoever, and tries to usher her out of the shop in the manner of Pretty Woman. But she wins Big people mistake. over. Big mistake. Big mistake. Huge. Huge. Is they this, work on commission. Is this the entire uh, film you're, you're taking? I am. I'm narrating no, the whole I mean, film. It, but in fairness, he is like 20 minutes in. Yeah, like this, okay. is, this, is, this is the setup for the film. And suffice P- it to say... plot description is... Okay, it's always everyone good. in the world of haute couture is won over by her English cockney charms, her sort of working class, you know, no-nonsense attitude. Uh, and she wins them all over. And this film is quite trivial in terms of plot. Like, it's not what I would call particularly compelling in terms of the storyline, but there's something about this that has, like, the Paddington factor to it, where it's so wonderfully cockle-warming and delightful that it makes your heart grow, like, three sizes while you're watching it. And it's great. And I should also mention two other things. One is Alba Baptista is in this as a Christian to your model, and she is the original warrior nun from the Netflix series, so let's not forget that. But also, there's a weird side of existentialism to this, where they keep banging on about Jean-Paul Sartre, which is a very, very odd tone at various points in this uh, in this film. But nevertheless, I was here for it. So I would say this is the kind of film that in these troubled times should be prescribed to people to combat things like anxiety and depression mm. and general ennui, uh, because it's delightful. Like Blonde. <laughs> yes, much <laughs> like Blonde. But it's, it's just a really, really lovely little film. It, I didn't have quite as good a time with it, I'll be honest. I wanted it to be exactly what you're describing, mm. and I felt like it fell a little bit short. Without getting too much into spoilers, there's a there's a, a scene or two where she teaches the French something that is so quintessentially French that it might as well be cheese making. And, and, and so it did very much try my suspension of disbelief on a lot of occasions, like more than I thought it needed to to get like Finn's phone turning up and running the marathon in his shoes. I mean, honestly, like that's that. that's actually less you know worrying to me than than what she does at one point in this film. But look, it's a really really good cast. Um, Lucas Bravo from Emily in Bravo. Paris, yeah, that's right. um, is in it as well. And as of course, sort of, Jason Isaacs and Jason Isaacs with his Northern Irish accent, yeah. which is a very good one. He is one of the best. As a, um, as a bookie with a heart of gold. Better than mine, quite frankly. I mean, it is When I, when point, I go home know. now, people go, not sure about your accent, mate. In yes. fairness, both of you have rubbish Northern Irish accents. Helen has a, 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 a what I, and she may bristle at this description, but Uh-oh. Helen has what I would describe as a posh Northern Irish oh, accent. Oh, do you? Wow. You're a bit posh. You're posho. I'm a, I don't posho. Think- I don't think I am, but in fairness, my mum had a lot of elocution lessons as elocution a child. Elocution lessons, yeah. So yeah. she has. You do very... sound posh. Thanks. I think. Yeah, there's a, Thanks. I don't know what Chris sounds the like. Port Stewart poshos. <laughs> I don't know what I sound like. I sound like some sort of weird hybrid at this point. Every yeah. nation on earth, pretty much. Fair enough. 
Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's, this is not to say I didn't have a good time with it. I just, I just wanted, I wanted more from it maybe than I got. It's a very it's, slight film though, isn't it? Is, it? And, it's, it and is. at times it's so saccharine, it's almost nauseous. But lovely but dresses. Lovely dresses. Lovely, lovely frocks. Lovely, 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 lovely frocks. Mrs. Harris. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. All right, so what do we give this one? We give it four, four stars. Four, four I, stars. Yeah. I, would, I would probably lean more towards three, but it'd be a high three. Like, it's a really fun three, but it is flawed. Like it's, it's, but it is delightful. And again, where we are now, I think it's, it's good for us. All right. Four stars in for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. And we don't have a, an official Empire review yet for Hocus Pocus 2, which is the <laughs> long-awaited legacy sequel. The original Hocus Pocus came out in 1993, and now 29 years later... And just like that, Sarah Jessica Parker is back in yet another long-awaited legacy sequel. Is this as good as And Just Like That, Hell's Bells? I just, here's the thing. Mm. Did we need a sympathetic backstory (laughs) and a little bit of retconning for the frickin' Sanderson sisters? They are the most cartoonish, one-note bad guys, and I mean that as a compliment, in cinema history. That's what they're meant to be. It's a kid's movie. And they give them a sympathetic freaking backstory. Prequelitis is a disease. Hollywood, I beg you. <laughs> Let your bad guys I beg be bad you. guys. Yeah. Let your bad guys yeah. be bad guys. We do not need any kind of sympathetic backstory for these three. Anyway, we get it. That's the opening yeah. of the film. We get to learn about them as children. Blah, blah, blah. But lest we forget, I mean, they are proper bad guys. They I mean, are pro- I, I they, they kill Hocus Pocus, kids. Hocus Pocus begins with our, our you know, three yeah. main characters draining the life force of a, of a little child. Yeah, they're yes, not nice. They're not nice people. And we should say, by the way, that it's not just Sarah Jessica Parker. The principal baddie is Winifred Sam- Sanderson, who's Bette Midler, mm-hmm. and their other sister is Kathy Najimy as Mary Sanderson. Um, so the three of them are, yes, witches Salem they come back on Halloween if a virgin lights the black flame candle much uh, tittering about what's a virgin it's someone who's never lit a candle before says Sam Richardson who is a magic shop owner that's in this incarnation someone who hasn't had sex no no it's it's no that's not what he says Chris so get with the but Disney program please thank you that's what it is anyway so our heroine is actually Becca who's played by Whitney Peak, and her friend Izzy played by Belissa Escobedo this is Peak Whitney um, sort of, and uh, they basically end up accidentally bringing the Sanderson sisters back, oh, and then having idiots. to find a way to get rid of them again. Yeah. There's a great bit with Hannah Waddingham, who then just disappears, yeah, goes, which is which criminal. is a shame. But Tony Hale's in it, Doug Jones is in it. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's no good for moments. Doug Jones, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's you know there's some. There's there's some musical numbers. I mean, look, if you're a fan of Hocus Pocus, you know this this may work for you. But but again, don't. Give every villain a sympathetic backstory. Just make them be bad. I cannot, I cannot with this. I I, cannot do it. Please explain to me why this film exists. Because Hocus Pocus, which was absolutely panned upon release and lost Disney $16.5 million. Somehow. I've read a Wikipedia page too. Thank you. (laughs) Somehow, somehow has become this cult favourite. It's not good. No, but an entire generation of kids... That's their Halloween film. There aren't that many Halloween-specific films for kids. This is a gateway horror film. This is a gateway oh, horror film. Come it on. is. It is. It's not. I like. It's it got a, it's a gateway to, themes, but it's, it's a gateway not to horror. like soft horror. This and Hoobie Halloween are going to be wow. gateway horror Stop films it. for yeah. an entire this, generation. The, the, it's the second. It's just. It's so dreadful. 
And I know I'm not the target audience, but I, I hated this for the fire of a thousand suns, but it was either this or Flux Gourmet and fuck that. I so. didn't, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't love the original either. But, uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm sure that the, the fans are going to be happy just to see them again. They're still very good at being the Sanderson sisters when they are just being evil. That, you know, those bits kind of worked a little I bit just, better. Like, if your gag is like, oh, they're riding vacuum cleaners and one of them is riding two Roombas, I'm just like, really? But the Roombas did, the Roombas was, there was a little payoff to that that kind of worked <sighs> quite well for me. I thought that was fun. Anyway, I just it's it's not by any means good, but if you're watching Hocus Pocus 2, you almost certainly don't care. I liked it. Did okay. you really? Mm-hmm. I thought it was fun. Fun, frothy, Halloween, fun, cackling, witches, cackling away. Just what fun watching them have fun watching them have fun, he said. <laughs> Vocabulary. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, really dipped into my words there, didn't I? Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm one of the best word speakers around. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought I thought there were some nice, oh. you know, predictable but well executed fish out of water gags. It's directed by Anne Fletcher, who knows mm-hmm. a way around movies like this. I thought it looked pretty good. It did actually. look good, yeah. Look I, good. I like the younger characters. Um, I like them when they turn up. Mm. I don't, yeah, I, mm. you know, I mean, I could do without the Tony Hale was fun as well. Tony Hale's great. Tony it, Hale's great. I just, you just, just. Sam just Richardson's let great. Baddies be baddies, just please. Sam Richardson yeah, is but great. You get past, you know, but you know, oh, that's that's the way, that's what it is, and mm. you know, but if, you know, I but I, I had a good time with it. All right. So what do you think? Not. You think I, three? For me, it's anywhere between one and five. It's like blonde. <laughs> <laughs> anywhere oh between God. one and five. No, I, I'd go three, but you guys seem like you're in the two camp. I'd be more of a, I'm two, in a two for camp, me. Yeah. Two be Halloween. Two be Halloween. Oh gosh. Flux Gourmet is also out this weekend. Uh, Flux Gourmet is the latest film from Peter Strickland, who is one of England's most idiosyncratic filmmakers, Yes, Mm. I think is the way to describe Peter Strickland's career. Marmite movies. You never know what you're going to get with his film, except you know one thing, it's going to be absolutely fucking weird. (laughs) Flux Gourmet, more of the same? Yeah, very, very much so. This is a film set in a culinary sonic or sonic sonic culinary art institution so basically the idea is that these people make noise with food it's a sort of performance art slash cookery thing and people come and watch them do their shit and I do mean shit I am so happy he exists I am so happy (laughs) uh, I mean it's it's, listen to what you just said listen to listen to the words that just came out of your mouth okay you're happy he exists but I noticed you didn't watch this I had to watch this do you know what I mean I've seen I've seen all the other Peter Strickland films. I just couldn't watch this because I've been pretty yeah. busy this week. Okay, well, uh, and I thought he was going to watch this, so I watched Hocus Pocus two instead. <laughs> Imagine my surprise when I was going to watch it. I was going to watch it, but then I just thought I can't. I can't, in good conscience, put myself through that. I'm just not a Peter Strickland fan. I can't. I very much enjoyed Conan the Barbarian Sound Studio, but other than that, <laughs> I, I just, I just can't get on with it. Yeah, well, anyway, so Gwendolyn Christie plays Jan, who is the the head and the owner of the Institute and has chosen this particular art collective to come along and do their thing uh, at the Institute. Um, basically, they all kind of fall apart. They all have these, you know, feuds between them. There's a whole scatological storyline running through it because the reporter who's covering this entire thing played Two by thumbs up. Marcus pa- Papadimitriou um, is having massive gut problems, essentially. And I just, um, it made me feel physically sick at times, uh-huh. um, which I assume uh-huh. it intended to do. Yep. Um, it has some incredibly striking images. It has, as you'd expect from the director of Barbarian Scientist, sound, 
studio. LCD <laughs> sound studio. Say, I was about to say sound design. <laughs> I'm like, that's wrong. Um, it has incredible, an incredible sound mix and, and you can really hear the food popping off in the pan. I just, I just didn't want to be watching it at really any point <laughs> and, and nothing in it made me happy that I was watching it. <laughs> and while I appreciate the artistry involved and I appreciate that it's good to make films about people who aren't likable and have and don't behave like human beings and that, that there is something to be said for that in an infinite universe where all things are possible, I don't ever want to do this again. I, I love that. I love that. You could go further with that. You go, and I'm glad that everyone involved is living and, can, and I, you know, I wish that they... I wish them well. Many, many happy years of health and happiness ahead and prosperity, in fact, but... Uh, as but long as please. they never do this again yes. in front of me. Please never do this to my eyes. Four stars then for Flux <laughs> Look, I'm just not. I'm just not up to it. Clearly, I, no. uh, you know, I don't have the right mindset for it. Ian Frey right. loved it. Like, actually loved like it. Said, so. it looks, and so did John Nugent. It looks so. and sounds incredible. It is very funny at times. Mm. I did laugh, but mostly I just hated it. I, I feel. I feel like like if you're if you're on the Strickland train, then you'll have a whale of Maybe a time. So. But this may be Strickland at his Stricklandiest. Yeah, but I wouldn't pull the cord. In no, case, <laughs> in case in case someone's in. colonoscopy falls on yes, you. Yes, precisely. I mean, you jest, but yes, that's exactly. That. <laughs> so this is going to be a great double bill with triangle of sadness down the line. Uh, uh, John Nugent of this parish says it's it's def- defiantly defiantly Stricklandian. <laughs> it's an undeniably surreal trip. That's good. Yep, that's good. You agree with that? Yeah. Are we just doing poster quotes now? Less formalistically daring than previous efforts. Uh, what's he saying in the verdict? A brilliant, bizarre, occasionally grotesque, horror-inflected cinematic delicacy. Sounds like a Peter Strickland film then. Four stars. Four stars. Four I agree stars. with everything but the delicacy and the four stars. Um, but yes, <laughs> there right. we are. Uh, we should also very quickly mention Lou came out. It snuck out last week because Netflix never tells anybody when they release a film anymore. That is the Taken-esque film with Alison Janney in the Liam Neeson role and I quite enjoyed it. Is she actually playing Liam Neeson? Yeah, her character name is Liam Neeson. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, no, she plays basically uh, uh, an old lady living on a remote sort of Pacific Northwest island. She has tenants in the house down the road who are played by Journey Smollett and a small girl whose name I forget. And when the small girl is kidnapped by Logan Marshall Green, oh, um, Alison Janney is called back into action because what do you know? She used to work for the CIA and has a particular set of skills. Love it. Whee. Love it. Very rainy, very atmospheric. Uh, did throw a couple of minor curveballs okay. and it's Alison Janney. So, so it's like, a baseball movie as well? Yes. That's exciting. That's what curveballs mean in this circumstance. Did not see that coming yeah. at all. I love that. I love that. You win an Oscar, you make an action movie which you beat someone's head in with a rake, I'm guessing. Um, not a rake, no. Not a rake. Does she, in the sequel, she should sure. go after Logan Marshall Green again, but accidentally target Tom Hardy? <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be the actual Tom Hardy. The actual Hardy. Tom Hardy. So the Lou, actor Tom Hardy is Lou on set two. Venom 3 in yes. Lou 2. Lou 2 is about Lou hunting down, accidentally engaging in a battle of wits mm. and wills with the actor Tom Hardy playing himself. Sold. I'm sold. Brilliant. I'm, I am available to direct that after I finish well. Blade and the new Star Trek movie. Jesus, man. Just deposit the money into my account first. Is he scheduled? Is that how movies work? Genuinely, that the, you know, you go, here's $200 million, Mr. Spielberg, and then they just put it into his account and then he just PayPal's it to all the different that is, departments. That is, not is that how it works? How I mean, technically, I guess if you had your own production company, it kind of maybe is somewhat. Maybe no, it is. No, it isn't. I'm sensing the podcast is over. 
The podcast is over. Yeah, well, greatest... you have to sense it because you haven't been listening for the past five, I mean, ten minutes. That's accurate. <laughs> the greatest beer run ever is also out this week, which is the new Peter Farrelly film, still without his brother Bobby. And it's about Zac Efron going, volunteering, well, not volunteering, but he willingly goes into the Vietnam War uh, when, it, when it was happening uh, and brings his mates beer because he thinks that's what they need. And mm, they this has been getting a kicking. Uh, but we haven't seen it yet. We'll review it on next week's show. It is out on Apple, Apple TV Plus uh, as of today and in some cinemas as well, some selected cinemas. And we'll talk about it on next week's show along with Significant Other and The Woman King and The Lost King and Amsterdam and Vengeance. My <laughs> God, stop making films. Stop it. It's all right, James, you'll be watching. I'll be watching TV anyway, already, so you won't be watching any of the rest, I guess. James is quickly Googling film. <laughs> what, what, is is film? film? <laughs> what is film? What is cinema? For, for you, James, what is cinema? Yeah. What, what is cinema? What is cinema? Yeah. Uh, anyway, that is it for the this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by the Woman Kings, Lashana Lynch and Sheila Atim. Very exciting indeed. We'll also be joined by... Steve Coogan again. Ooh. He, he was on the show last week plugging his Alan Partridge podcast, but next week he's got The Lost King, which is his reteaming with Stephen Frears and his writing partner, Jeff Pope. The first time they've made a movie together since Philomena bagged him an Oscar nomination a few years ago. And The Lost King's about the, the hunt for the remains of Richard III. Uh, they found him under a in car, a car park, park in a car Leicester. Park, yeah. a careless place to leave them, quite frankly. Mm. They should have just dropped a pin in the map. Anyway, until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Totally. That's it? That's okay. it. You know, I'm just, I don't have time to waste breath on anything more. I've got to save it for the marathon. This is true. It is also goodbye from James Dyer on the Pilot TV podcast this week. Go on, go on Jimbo. Go I'm going to off to run 10 marathons in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, 10 minute marathons. Each marathon will take me one minute. I shall do 10 in 10 minutes. <laughs> Could be great. Twenty six point two miles. Oh, they're called Snickers now. Sorry, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I couldn't do that. I don't like peanuts. Peanuts are evil. Peanuts are fine. No. No. Yeah. Also, I know people that peanuts would kill. Yeah. And I don't like Charlie Brown. Fuck him. <gasps> <laughs> I went to a Halloween party with Charlie Brown once. I just wore a yellow T-shirt. <laughs> True story. I drew the little swell on my head. That's that's kind of the most impressive thing. <laughs> oh, wow. oh no, the bit where he drew the uh, the barcode in the back of his oh, neck I and went. Hitman. Yes, I went as Hitman. I've just I think I've gone through most of the sort of bald characters, but I went through. I did. I wore a suit with a red tie to Nick DeSemlin's I think thirtieth birthday, and I did. I had a tattoo, a barcode tattooed on the back of my head. Wow! I caught norovirus at that party. Is that the one where I went dressed as my character from Hostel Part Two? You did. Yes, it was still, very funny, Chris. I still had the costume, yeah. and no one knew who I was. Yeah. It's weird that, isn't it? Fuck you. <laughs> Why do you go off with your running friends? Oh, that's right, you are. <laughs> uh, and it's goodbye from me. I am off to wave at Helen as she runs past in Greenwich on Sunday and I will offer her support. And if she's if she's flagging, I'm going to run that fucker for her. Yeah, man. Yeah. Business suit, business shoes and all. Vince Fond's got nothing on me. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. 